This is Wes Keltner, co-creator of Friday the 13th, the video game, and you're listening to Beyond the Veil Horror Podcast. See you at Crystal Lake. And now it's time to get that one hand free! It's time for Beyond the Veil Horror Podcast Trivia Show with your host, Alex! Oh, thank you. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Hey, folks, we got a really great show for you tonight. As you know, we've got two contestants to fight for the big old pot of money. That's right. We're going to have them answer trivia questions, and if they get them right, they're going home a millionaire. Now let's introduce some of our contestants, shall we? First up, we have Brent, a recent graduate of Crystal Lake High. Just graduated high school. I'm ready to win the money. And, of course, our next contestant, who comes directly from Crystal Lake, Jason. Not much of the uh, talkative type there, are we, Jason? Anyway, folks, let's get on with the first question of the night. And remember to hit your buttons when you're ready to answer the question. No, uh, Jason, we don't don't actually hit the button just yet. Yeah. Just hold, hang on, buddy. Uh, you can stop staring at me now. Okay, first question is, what was the town of Crystal Lake the first time they changed the name? All right, Brent, this one goes to you. What is Forest Green? That is correct. All right. Brent's got 500 on the board. Next question. Who was the murdering psychopath that went on a murder killing spree for camp at Crystal Lake? (laughs) Okay, only a couple of times here, Jason. Yep, hey. <laughs> Actually, you, you only need to stay behind the podium to, to answer these questions. Hey, we, we really don't even allow uh, weapons on the stage like that. You, you, so, uh, hey, what the fuck? Oh, fuck, Jason! Welcome back to Beyond the Veil Horror Horror Podcast. Podcast. Horror Podcast, just want to make sure you get that. (laughs) Just as a reminder for some of our close friends out there that don't know. Very much so. (laughs) But we're back uh, for our Friday the 13th episode. That's Friday the 13th episode. Anyway, it's an entire episode dedicated to none other than the Friday the 13th franchise. Ah. Jason, any of the series, all of that. Yeah. We even have a special guest that we interviewed. Oh, yeah. Uh, that we'll be putting on here in shortly. And that is Wes Keltner, who is the co-creator of the Friday the 13th, The Game. And he works for Gun Media, so that's a, a good interview. chill guy, yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game, man. It's going to be fantastic. So, how are you guys doing? How's everything going? 
Oh, not so bad. I mean, except for this daunting task of watching all these Jason movies, I yeah. think this, this week has gone pretty well. We almost uh, cut each other with a machete. <laughs> we got into it. We started hitting each other. Now, uh, yeah, guys, by the way, there is... Like, I think I, I was off by a movie. By the way, I just want to make an amendment because I posted it everywhere like an idiot. But I forgot about Freddy vs. Jason. Mm. Or, and and I, that's a 12th movie, including the remake. Right. So there was literally 12 movies that we had to watch, and we're doing this super late, unlike we normally do. So, but there was a lot of hours put into this fucking episode, and it was kind of, it was fun and stressful, and uh, I don't know, hopefully it's great for you guys. But we had fun doing it, so you said you haven't been doing much, or what? No, I haven't been doing much, really. Uh, haven't had much work this week. Or I've just been, you know, jerking off, helping Mike jerk off. And- <laughs> Kind of really, almost like a tandem bike. I have this know? conversation with you about cutting back on the masturbation. Well, we got to kick it off with at least with at least Jesus. one. Jesus. Yeah, we have a problem. I think we can't stop talking about masturbation. There's we apologize. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with loving yourself. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it live. <laughs> Jesus. Watch out for my eye. But anyway, aside from masturbation, what have you been up to, Mike? Uh, I finally got a new job. Yeah. Which is cool. Been watching a lot of Jason. Right. I've been chasing Jason. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I watched this, Sounds uh, like you're doing a drug. <laughs> Jason. Oh, man, I've been doing a lot of Jason, man. I've been chasing the Jason. But uh, I watched a, uh, a Netflix original series the other day. I, I burnt through the whole thing. Really? Yeah, only eight episodes. Uh, it had a really cool premise, and it was kind of cool, but it kind of fizzled out towards the end. What was it? It's called Glitch. It's an Australian series about these, uh, there's like this little town in Australia where all these people that were buried in this cemetery just become resurrected. And they Hmm. all bust out of their graves. It's, they're not like zombies, but they're, they're fully, you know, healed and everything and full humans. And they have no memory of how they died or what their lives were like. There's a couple of shows like that. Yeah. Isn't one of them like the The return? The return. Yeah. Oh, well there's two shows called the return too. There's the French one, right? Which is called, uh, fuck. Called fuck. It's like resurrected or something like that. But they redid the show that's similar to it, but isn't the same as the book. Like it's confusing. So glitch is similar to that. Yeah. So they try to figure out why this happened and everything like that. Yeah. it, It has its moments. It's, it's very, very cool up until the end. Okay. Uh, not that I. It's only one of those. It's one of those shows where each character has a resolution, which is cool, and I dig that. But the series as a whole, I didn't feel like had a real resolution, and I don't know if that was intentional to, for a second season, or if it was just poor writing. I'm not sure. Feels like it's overborrowed. It, it a could little very bit, well be. You know? But pretty much beyond that, and uh, doing some other things for for. <laughs> With your right hand. <laughs> Which I will not say, because it's, yeah. it's obviously against the law. There's plot <laughs> Oh, whatever. <laughs> I think we get an allotment of at least three. Is that fair? Like Three a day? Okay. I'll three a cast? <laughs> not like ten like the last episode. Christ. Uh, what about you, dude? What have you been My mom to? listens, god oh, damn it. Oh, My grandmother's on this. Well, well shit. <laughs> hey, everybody does this. like taking a dump. <laughs> Um, well, let's see. What have I been doing? Yeah, Watching just, Jason films, obviously. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, clearly. and yelling at, at our co-hosts. Uh, <laughs> what is it called? Uh, passive-aggressively? <laughs> 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 Not really mad, but yeah. 
did. It was stressful, but it was uh, it's like we we just had to do so much. I like I woke up at six o'clock this morning and was like, gotta do make the donuts, you know, like. <laughs> Fucking get these movies on, and I just was pounding them like, <laughs> like I was an alcoholic, but only with movies. You know what I mean? And it, I was like, Jesus Christ! But uh, but yeah, we made it through all together too. We did it. Oh, we did it. We did it together. And we held hands during the last yeah. episode. <laughs> the makeout scene was awesome. <laughs> Not in the movie, but in real life. Yeah, yeah, that was too great. much tongue, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, I think it might be that time, guys. Okay, we got a couple shots here we're going to do. The first one is the one you developed. Yeah. Right, tell um, us about it. I'm going to do that first. Uh, it's called the well, we are uh, do that one short for Red sure. Dot Shot. Okay. And, and, and what give is us in a, this, Yeah, Patrick? give us a history of the shot. Uh, I actually thought of it when I was watching... Uh, Friday the 13th, part 6, which I believe that's A New Blood, right? No. No. It is Jason Lives. Jason Lives, yes. At one scene in the movie, there is a cop who is very proud of the laser sight that he just mail-ordered for his gun. Yeah, because they didn't have the internet back then. Right, right. And uh, he continues to say, after he's showing off his gun, that (laughs) wherever the red dot lands, bang! Yeah, <laughs> you're dead. Yeah, that was uh, actually that actor is the same guy that was in Shocker. Really, as, like one of the cops that gets possessed by the uh, Pinkerton. Oh yeah! Oh wow! Cool, cool. I he was like that. one of my favorites that he possessed too. Like he was the cop that had the heart attack. Right. Oh, cool. But but anyway, yeah, that guy said it, and then well, we'll talk about it later. But <laughs> that's a great idea for a shot. Patrick went out. And took initiative and bought the drinks. And now we're going to go f- take them and probably throw up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we take 99 cherries, hypnotic, soak cherries in 100 proof vodka for 13 minutes. No, it was a little longer than that. <laughs> I think we, we started the marinating. I was trying to the theme, bro. I was trying to make it cool for you. It's not cool. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I ruined it. But then, and then what is the kicker? What do we have to say? Uh, wherever the red dot lands, bang. So we just or say are we bang. Just gonna, are we just gonna say bang? Let's just say bang. It's, a, right. it's a whole bunch of jumping it's some a red bunch tape, of, dude. Yeah. Bang, bang, I just want to get drunk. All right. Oobaloo. Hey, who's gonna make this? Because I don't know how to make this. I'll shot. do it. Alex is our barsmith today. Yeah. Well, I'm closest. All right. Now we put the cherries in. If you guys haven't lost one. <laughs> yeah. Careful not to pop them. <laughs> like a bit of a misogynistic shot it's yeah. got <laughs> yeah, Jesus it's got a it's got a, a hypnotic and it has a cherry in it I think I put a little too many cherries in that cup but we'll, we'll finish them off before the end of the night you know the, the the presentation of this is wonderful oh god do I have to swallow the cherry yeah I'm gonna throw up just eating the cherry <laughs> you got to it's gonna hit the back of my throat and then I'm just gonna be puker puker right, to pukerson over yeah, here let's che- bring it in it's it's like the uh, the worm and the tequila alright on three bang Do I? but I really have to drink the, the cherry yes yeah. everything Jesus alright bang bang <coughs> does he choke on the cherry you don't normally choke on things that go in your mouth. Yeah, it kind of, it got stuck in my throat. And then it kind of is like, just like, 
journeying down very slowly through my esophagus. Okay, I think you can breathe again. Yeah. Did you get a cherry in the lung? Yeah. <laughs> I left mine in the glass. No, you fucking bastard. You fucking puss. I hate cherries, dude. I hate cherries, Where's your little pink dress? <laughs> I left it on your dresser. <laughs> it's on the side of my bed. Eh, what did you think of that? That's actually not bad. No, it's pretty gross, dude. The the cherry got hit the back of my throat. It slowly is it's still stuck in my chest. Yeah, that's like that's, no joke. That's very healthy. So we have another shot. This one's fucked up. I am Fuck. not looking forward to this. This is this bad, is uh, one that I highly recommend you don't do. <laughs> Please don't. But <laughs> this is this is the shot of like if we were on Jackass, this is what we'd be shooting. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. You're kind of right. Yeah. So we're really intelligent, by the way. Um, <laughs> this shot is called the Voorhees shot, and it's uh, thirteen types of alcohol. Now I'm gonna slowly go ahead and read these off. Can you hand these to me as I'm? We have Jameson, Irish whiskey. Jack Daniels, Tennessee whiskey. Jim Beam Apple, which I have no clue what the fuck that is. Patron Anejo. Three Olives Vodka. Sailor Jerry Spice Rum. This one's going to be nasty. St. <laughs> Brendan's Irish Cream Liqueur. I never want to look forward to eating someone's Jägermeister. <laughs> you know what this shot's going to taste like? Jägermeister. Yeah. <laughs> Every time Jägermeister's involved, it's just like, it's like, it's like the guy that comes into the party and just won't shut up. He's just like the loudest motherfucker in there. <laughs> That's going to be Jägermeister. Yeah, wants to make sure everybody hears him. Uh, sour apple decupier. <laughs> I don't even know how to say that. Sour apple pucker. Malibu Caribbean rum with coconut liqueur. Oh, yeah, that's a sexy one. And Bacardi 151. And last but not least, Fighting Cock. Seriously, my favorite kind of cock. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Mm. Tastes like backwash. Mm. <laughs> mm. Guys, make sure you have your chaser. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm saying. Make sure you drink the shit. Why are you pointing at me? I, because I got, you got the water bottle in your hand. <laughs> and as a warning, we don't recommend doing this at home. Yeah. Oh, I know I've made this really long and drawn out because I'm scared about this shot, to be honest. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. We're Danger. probably going to die. Danger. Well, it's like Voorhees, you know what I mean? Yeah. You got to be well, a little scared. He can handle it, but we can't. Right. So that's why it's called the Voorhees. Yeah. All right? Because he never dies. Now, we're either going to go down in history for being the stupidest fucking people on the planet. We're pretty I, dumb. I probably anyway. I'm dumb. <laughs> I showed up today. There's Pats. I put extra bullshit in that. <laughs> of course, you gave me the biggest one. Dude, just the look and the viscosity of this. It there's looks... like floating. It looks like there's sea monkeys floating around. Ah! Because ah! the fucking... Because the fucking goddamn fucking Irish cream. You know oh, what it looks like? It literally looks like lake water. Oh, my God, dude. It? Okay, I have got to get a drink ready. It looks like piss. It has all the yeah, flows that you have. We wait my... five seconds to chase. Okay, so we wait. Be gonna... cool about it. If you got to puke, just fucking puke. I don't want to fucking... I don't want puke on the mic or on my floor, for Christ's sake. I work <laughs> in here. <laughs> what if I puke on myself? Is that okay? ha. <laughs> No, but don't, yeah. Okay, guys. 
You know, it doesn't smell that bad. We've done a lot of really bad shots. This has to be the worst. This has got to be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> All right, All right cheers. cheers. Cheers, dude, dudes. Drink, drink your shit! Oh. I had to watch them guys first. <laughs> yeah, you pussy. Surprisingly, it went down kind of smooth. Yeah. I don't feel bad about it. No. Well, we'll see if we throw up. Mm. You know, the only thing in there that didn't really fit was a cream. Yeah. Because yeah. it curdled. Oh, yeah. But everything else, honestly, was not bad. What do you think about it? Curdle yeah, look, cream. At, look at the curdle in here, dude. Look at that. Yeah. We you think about Jason, mouth. he's all curdled and shit, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's like, it's like drinking out of the bottom of an old milk carton. Ugh. Delicious. Is... All right, maybe I shouldn't think about that. <laughs> no. Thanks, dude. I didn't want to puke, but I'm glad you're helping me out with it. All right. Well, we did it. But that's it for Horror Shots, guys. Hell yeah. Woo! Get ready for the news. News. Yeah, we're going to do this pretty quickly because we have a lot of stuff going on with this episode. Uh, one thing which is insanely cool I did not know. So, uh, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, man. The guy who created it, they're talking about bringing it to the small screen. Yeah, Stephen Kyoto. I think yeah. that's how you say it because it sounds like an Italian name. Yeah. A Kyoto? Yeah. Uh, that sounds like it's Kyoto a... or uh, Kyoto. That's like a teppanyaki name. Kyoto! <laughs> but no, uh, could you imagine like a trilogy on the small screen? Right. Uh, maybe like, uh, it doesn't, the, the article we, we read on Bloody Disgusting doesn't stipulate if it's on like, they're thinking about Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Yeah, like hour long series or, I don't, it doesn't really explain too much. No, but it's insanely cool because it's, it's a classic hardcore 80s kind of camp fest that's right. fucking awesome. Well, they've been talking about it for years. Like, wow. I remember I remember hearing them talk about this, like, years ago. Wow. And then somehow part two got shelved somehow. Oh, I didn't Or they know didn't that. get the funding or something oh, like wow, that. Dude. I feel like they should just do a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, totally. Why Steven and uh, your brother, please, Kyoto Brothers, do this shit. Dude, I would, I would fucking love to see it, because this, it's... I have a hard time feeling that it will ever do as good as the first one did. Now, right. okay, there's been see. so much time between. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost sure. like humping a dead horse. You know what I mean? Like, which is cool at first, but then it kind of gets old. <laughs> yeah, then it gets weird. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> but it's still it's it's a cool concept, and I'm I, hopefully they can get funding and make it happen or whatever. Yeah, I would I would back it. I would totally back. I it. I would back right up into that horse and just yeah, finish let it, it up. <laughs> Let it kill me, Mr. Hands style. <laughs> uh, the other thing, too, is like... Uh... <laughs> you remember Mr. Hands? You remember that shit? <laughs> the dude that let the horse fuck him and he recorded it? <laughs> and then he died? Wait, what is this from? <laughs> no, man. No, it's live video. The dude's getting fucked by a horse. Oh, I've never seen this. Yeah, well, welcome to the internet. That's all <laughs> I gotta say. That's like your introductory, you know, hello, welcome... <laughs> Oh, there's a guy over here dying from getting horse fucked. I still haven't even watched Two Girls, One Cup. I just oh, will not do it. And you didn't even see Two Girls, One Cup or Two Girls, One Finger? No. Get out. I will say, what was All that? right, guys, we're going to make a video of him watching it now. Oh. I'm totally going to make a reaction video oh, of him watching awesome, it. Oh, it's going to be awesome, man. Because he's never seen them. I will say, I did see, uh, I think it was uh, German, but guys take these... 
guys take this guy out to the woods and beat him with a hammer to death. That's not German. Well, yeah, why is that German? Yeah. It's two guys, one hammer. <laughs> I've never heard that. You never heard, you never seen I've seen this. the one where the, the two, the couple, like, shoot a bear out of the tree and then fuck on it. What the dead fuck? Birds. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is that real? Or you just that's, no, that's me? legit. Right. Well, well this is my, legit, a, too. a shining moment in my life. <laughs> Mom and Dad, my brother, I love you. These guys have actually been prosecuted for this and, and tried for manslaughter. It it was a real death on tape. Two guys on, yeah, two guys, one hammer. Yeah, but you can't masturbate wow. to that. It does sound like a gay porn, yeah. It just shows you just... <laughs> I, I just caught what you... <laughs> God damn it! That's three! That is three! You were cut off! No more masturbation jokes! You gotta put a quarter in the, in yeah. the master jar! Yeah. <laughs> you gotta put a $50 bill in the fucking masturbation jar. But that yeah. sucks, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Jack Frost is getting a 2K Blu-ray release. Yes! I'm excited about this, dude. I love that movie. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah, but it's so bad, it's good. Like, oh. it's the weird thing. Like, there's, it's like this, it almost feels like it's shot on video. So when I heard there's a 2K restoration for it, I was like... Where are you getting those extra 2Ks? Yeah, I know. What are you, adding Ks? <laughs> like, I don't know. Is it, I thought it was shot on video. <laughs> Someone was like, when's the 4K coming out? I was like, good luck. <laughs> oh, the last one is, this one's kind of uh, fascinating. Uh, Target is pulling uh, clown masks because of the silly asshats oh, dressing up like clowns and scaring The clown people. uprising. Well, yeah. Which is so and it's not Juggalos. <laughs> I know. Well, Have you guys heard about the guy in UK who's actually chasing these motherfuckers down, dressed as Batman? Yeah, I saw a fake video, maybe? No, there is a guy, really, in the UK who does this. Oh, really? Huh. Where does he find them? Does he go to clown bars or something like that? He's fucking Batman and, like, stalk for him out. He goes to clown night at the local, local clown bar. Stands outside, like, uh, seething with clown anger. Yeah, drives around looking for the clowns on street yeah. corners. Ah, <laughs> oh, you look like Joker. He just, like, soon we'll find out that guy, like, murdered somebody innocent. You know, like, he was just, like, trying to give a birthday party for some kids. And then they, he, like, fucking shoots him in the chest with a pellet gun and kills him. I don't but, know. but honestly, that's pretty much it. I mean, we want to keep it keep it simple. Well, is he is he like new Batman or old Batman? Because the new Batman kills. Yeah, new Batman well, doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, it is definitely the the costume looks like the Christian Bale Batman. Okay, so he doesn't kill Christian. So so he's religious. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Batman. I'm sorry, my son. <laughs> God will forgive you. God will forgive you. <laughs> Oh, what was that? Tra- this it could be somewhat news. What was that trailer that you saw the other day? Laser Poke. Okay, guys, I'm gonna add the link below. You need to watch this. And you know what the beauty about this? It's a German shot film. Yeah, I actually asked the guy. I wrote him on Twitter. I was oh, like, cool. Dude. I was like, can we see more? And he was like, if it does well. But he wrote that in German, and then he said, then court, of course. So. If you guys share the fuck out of this, like, share it with everyone that you know, find it on fucking Facebook, find it on Twitter, because this this movie needs to fucking happen. Dude, it's it cool. really does. It, it was literally like uh, uh, Iron Sky, but with right. religion. Yeah, and the beauty of this, and this is what I love about the concept, okay? It's about a pope that gets burned. I forget how it happens. He gets it killed and burned, I think. Yeah, well, he doesn't get killed. He gets to the point where he's mm-hmm. almost dead. Okay. And his whole body's burned. And then they turn him into Laser Pope. 
So they stick all these tubes in him, and they put on this big helmet with a cross on it. And he's basically the Pope, and he, dude, there's, like, the music, and it's actually pretty fucking cool, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, mm, din, din, din. but there's, like, hot body oiled boobies, and then there's, like, priests, like, rubbing on some dude. Don't forget about the music. Oh. oh, the music is awesome. It's like it's oh, like yeah. industrial synth wave. Like oh, I don't know how to explain so it. It's like very minimal industrial. I don't know. Right, I would agree with that. Something like that. But if you guys haven't seen it, go down to the information right now. Pause the fucking show. Go watch that and support the fuck out of this guy because this movie needs to happen. Like it really does. They can get away with it too because it's not. It's like it's like a good guy trying to stop sinners. So they can kind of get away with it, right? You know what I mean? Like, even though it's like gory as fuck, they like they're like shooting and killing sinners. So it's like it's okay. Turn the other cheek. Yeah, like butt cheek. One of my favorite things is like she's like, "Holy fuck!" Like that's my favorite line. Everybody else says something else, but anyway, that's it for the fucking news, guys. Hell yeah! What we're going to do now, we normally do new releases at this point in time, but we have a special guest for you. Oh, yeah. His name is Wes Keltner. He is the co-creator. He works for Gun Media. He's putting out a new game called Friday the 13th, The Game. It sounds amazing. It looks amazing. And we'll put some links down below for you to hear it. But check out Wes Keltner right now. Hey guys, we're here with Wes Keltner, co-creator of the much-anticipated Friday the 13th official video game by Gun Media. Hell yeah, dude. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the cast. No, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. It's cool to hang out with you guys, especially just talk and shop with other horror fans is always kind of a, for me anyway, like sometimes you talk to people that just do video game stuff and so they kind of, their mind's sort of in a different place uh, right. in terms of the questions or sort of what gets them excited. And so it, for me, it's sort of a breath of fresh air to talk to someone who not only likes video games, but is also very much into horror. So that's pretty cool for, uh, for me. Yeah, I think all three of us are pretty pretty steady into that. We, we probably do a little bit more horror movies, but I, I used to do streaming and stuff like that. But yeah, man, we're really excited about the game and... I kind of wanted to get into uh, you a little bit because I haven't found too much, uh, you know, interviews about you, and I'm sure there's a lot of interesting stuff. Fly under the radar, man. I keep it keep it on the field. <laughs> well, you're so active on uh, on Twitter, uh, so it's you know I felt like we could reach out to you. So we really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, sure. No, it's awesome. Like uh, again, I love I love talking to to guys like like you guys. I don't do it. A ton of interviews, but it's not because I don't like to do them. It's usually a, a time restraint uh, constraint sure. kind of issue, but. Uh, but yeah, let's we, we can jump right in. If you want to ask questions about uh, the bo- my boring background, please do. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you first of all. We always ask, you know, where do you hail from and what do you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm from Kentucky. Uh, we born and raised here. Still live here currently. That's where our headquarters is. Is in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I grew up in a smaller town just outside of. Um, where we actually still have a video video rental store there, you know, it's uh, nice. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, I cut my teeth uh, in that uh, smaller town, being able to spend a lot of time in 
VHS rental stores as well as it was great because you could go in and like pick up a copy of the thing on VHS and run over and grab, you know, a video game for like PS one or something. It's like, this is the best weekend I'm ever going to have. Right. <laughs> Pizza, maybe some beer or so. Oh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've worked for a lot of companies and you know, in the industry, it says over for 10 years now in your bio, um, companies like EA Activision, I believe it's Eidos. Eidos, Eidos. I think it's, uh, of course, now it's Square Eidos because Square yeah. a while back. But uh, yeah, before I was making games for us, we were helping companies make their games better. Um, so we were video game consultants for about five years. Um, sometimes it was something as just as easy as like writing a mock review. So they may just want us to check the game out just before it uh, is released to find out how will the press receive it. Right. They want to know that they want to know that coveted Metacritic score. So uh, we ran a, a company. It was actually only like one of maybe three um, that was sort of known around the world that did this kind of work. Um, we had a plus or minus two and a half point accuracy in terms oh, of wow. what was the Metacritic score. Um, but then other times they would bring us in just to uh, sort of talk shop on on a new game that maybe it's just in gray box, right? Like it doesn't even have textures yet. And they want to talk through, um, some gameplay mechanics or, um, want us to take a look at multiplayer and discuss, you know, balancing and things like that. So we, we wore many hats, uh, during that, uh, consulting run that we did. And it was fun. Uh, we got to play a lot of, of great games and we learned a lot about, um, how games get made. Uh, and so we just, I just wanted to leverage, all that knowledge that we built over uh, those few years and start making games for us. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I'm curious too. Like what actually made you want to get into the gaming industry to begin with? Well, I mean, I guess probably what anyone in the gaming, gaming industry would say is, well, I love video games. Um, and I I think a lot of people share in that same passion, right? Like, uh, I just have been playing since I was a kid and, uh, much like someone who likes to, you know, sort of tinker with mechanical things, right? Like, Sure. Uh, I had a friend that liked to take his computers apart and toasters apart and stuff like that. And he became a you know, mechanical engineer and so on and so forth. It's kind of a similar thing. Like you get to a certain point when you're playing video games where you, you, you look past the escapism of that form of entertainment and start looking at, at mechanics of the game. Like, why is this fun? Like, why do I enjoy this so much? Um, and you start seeing the game sort of differently. Um, and then you find those those little mechanics and loops that are in the game that resonate with you. And then you start to see them being utilized in other games in other ways, et cetera. So once you start down that road, um, it's sort of makes sense to fall in line in terms of let's, let me find something in the industry where I can continue to exercise that passion because you're, uh, you're always, at least for me personally, I'm always trying to, uh, um, challenge myself and find, interesting ways to sometimes it's to tell a story other times it's looking for a uh, a mechanic or a, a feature in a game that either someone hasn't seen or someone hasn't used it in this specific way so um but yeah that's that's kind of the actually before i was consulting on because like we worked on like battlefield 3 and yeah knights of the republic and skyrim and a bunch of a bunch of titles but before that we were helping a lot of like big brands. So these are brands like Ford Motor Company, Samsung, uh, a ton of brands within Unilever and Procter and Gamble that 
wanted to understand the video gamer demographic better. You know, like how do we get Old Spice deodorant in front of gamers, right? And like all they <laughs> all they knew was uh, like to follow what like Mountain Dew and Doritos does. And it's like, well, <laughs> you could do that, but there's also some like other interesting ways uh, that you could get in get involved with games. Uh, so that's actually like kind of where we first dip, started dipping our toe into it, uh, and, and we got paid pretty well to do that. Um, and then that led right into, um, you know, someone like a Ubisoft or someone calling us and saying, "Hey, I saw what you did with Ford. That's pretty cool. Do you also like help us? Do you can you consult with us?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure." And then that just sort of blossomed into uh, a full-on you know, video game consulting uh, sort of firm, if you will. Well, and you know, it's funny because it's like a few of us here, we actually produce music and I I know how tedious that is. You just get in the zone and you start doing it. But with video games, it's like, I feel like that's probably even more tedious, like just just every aspect of it. So it's, it's, like, it's like a more extreme version of uh, filmmaking. Right. It, it really is. Uh, and it's, it's funny because this is the first project I've worked on where I cross cross paths with quote unquote Hollywood. Uh, due to the people that we have affiliated with the game. Um, and so it's interesting when we're sitting down and discussing things with someone like a Kane Hodder, for example, that he's not used to, um, for example, if you're shooting a scene in a film where you say, okay, in this scene, Jason is going to lift someone up and smash their head through a car window and then whatever, right? Like it's, if you set up that kind of scenario. <laughs> yeah. scenario that he's in his head he's like yeah okay and on on the set there's going to magically be a car there that with a breakable window and he's going to go run through the stunts in his head and say right like that's sort of the scene right that they're worried about lighting they're worried about this kind of stuff but for us it's if that if that idea is dreamt up there is literally an empty canvas right in front of us where you have someone has to build every piece of the car apply physics to the car make the window break appropriately worry about the game camera worry about lighting environment tree shrubbery background sound sound effects music right like there so it's it is a very very extreme form of of filmmaking because you can't just say we need a ladder in this shot and someone go to ace hardware and buy a ladder right i would like, I, yeah i would say it's even more probably more people moving parts than film a lot of times you know what I mean? oh it definitely is i mean there is usually a lot of people associated with a film as you can see in modern film credits it's just it goes on and on and on right but um with with game with game making there's your core team and then you have like all the uh, tertiary companies that you're working with just to help like connect the dots and get things put together like you know voiceover motion capture uh do you need to outsource any additional sound effects um, if your light tech doesn't work built into the engine, you probably have to third party that as well. Um, trees, for example, like you can, there's companies like that we work with called speed tree that, um, they help us with not only getting the, the, the right tree asset, but applying proper physics to it. So when the wind blows, it looks like a real tree, individual leaves move, things like that. Like those are things to help get you a leg up, but it's still a tremendous amount of work. So yeah, there are a lot of people that all get involved uh, with games, of course, we're still like a small indie game, whereas a AAA game. Well, uh, it sure doesn't look like it because it's looking beautiful so <laughs> well, far, thank you. man. It yeah, looks badass, man. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you. I mean, uh, I know this wasn't, you know, in some of the questions, but do you have what engine are you guys using? Sure, it's an Unreal Four, so the newest uh, 
version of, of Unreal. Not not too many games on the market right now that uh, uh, have have used that that tech and launched. Uh, it's not not a very old uh, engine. Um, so far, it's been pretty good for us. There's been a few little uh, hiccups here and there, but things that we've been over been able to overcome. It's just uh, it's a little finicky, and 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 that's to be expected when you have an engine that's you know quote unquote new and is right. you know, ro- rolling out new updates and things. There's always sometimes we have to stop and kind of scratch our head and figure out how to fix fix the problem. But uh, but yeah, that's the that's the engine we use for for Friday the Thirteenth. Actually, you have a game that you are a couple of games that you worked on uh, exclusively for Breach and Clear and then Breach and Clear Deadline. Uh, can you tell us maybe a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, I, I had this love affair with Rainbow Six Rogue Spear on PC oh, back, yeah, in, back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> like I spent way too many hours playing that game. And <laughs> honestly, what I loved the most about it was it gave you the ability to um, like pre-plan your routes for your AI team. So they had like an overlay map of, of like the library or wherever the target destination you're going. And you could waypoint like each step and what they're supposed to do. Like they get to this spot and they stop. And once I hit, you know, the W key or whatever it is that I map to telling that person to throw a flashbang, they're going to wait there until I give the order. And and that game was just so engrossing to me and so cool that I could manage multiple teams but just be by myself and play the game. I thought that was really rad. Uh, right. But it was also really fun multiplayer as well. So anyway, but I and they had made other Rainbow Six games since then, and and I love those too. But they took that part out. Like right, that's, that's been gone. Right, and I sort of missed that. And uh, and I, I I was looking at like sort of the landscape of, of video games at that time because this was. Uh, maybe four years ago, something like that, when we made Breach and Clear. And um, I, I didn't see anything on the market that was quite like what we were wanting to do. And, of course, um, mobile devices were becoming more ubiquitous in terms of uh, doing more things, too, with touchscreens. So I thought, right. hey, wait a minute. Like This kind of makes sense in terms of a strategy game where you can plan out routes and things just using a touchscreen. That kind of makes sense, almost like back in the day when you played like football or something with your buddies in the sandlot that you would, you know, scratch out a play on the ground, uh, mm-hmm. before it was sort of that mentality. And so that's what we approached when we started putting together the design for, uh, for breaching clear. So it was a, it's a tactical strategy game, uh, where you control, um, like elite special forces groups. You can choose from several different groups from around the world and you would choose each one of those teams. And then you have these scenarios that you go into where there's sometimes it's a, a bomb you have to defuse or it's just take out the bad guys kind of a thing. You're pre-planning out your steps. And then when you execute it, the enemy forces are also moving at the same time that you are. Um, so your plan works sometimes, but you can't always predict exactly what the enemy is going to do. So, much more stressful and frantic. It is. It's. It is. Um, and and we weren't sure how it would how it would work until we you know it made sense in design. And then once the Dev Studio, which their name's Mighty Rabbit, they're based out of North Carolina. Once we they first kind of brought up this mechanic and said like, what if we did it both at the same time? We were kind of like, I don't know. And then the we, they built it uh, a very rough version of it, and we played through it. And we're like, hey, wait a minute, we've got something here. Like, this is pretty interesting. I spent the rest of, I don't know, maybe six months um, hanging out with a lot of special forces guys. So, guys from Spartak, which is like the part of special forces army that basically it's kind of like getting your masters in room clearing. 
Um, so hung out with him a lot, went through kill house scenarios with him, hung out with uh, CAG guys. Like training Delphi. grounds? Yeah, and just like talk through those scenarios. We'd draw up plans. We would, he would teach me things about like corner fed rooms versus center fed rooms, meaning like where the doorway is. Um, like a center fed room is uh, horrible to try to clear that because you, you, you could, someone could be on either side of the door to the right or to the left. So whoever goes in first, um, you know, you're going to pick a side and go to it and hope your second man is right fast enough to clear the other adjacent walls. So anyway, just learning like all of these facets of, of CQB training was uh, pretty amazing awesome. though. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, that's kind of like our MO here when we tackle a project is we don't want to just come up with a game idea and say, let's just make this game. Like instead we fully immerse ourselves in that world so that at least when we come out the other end, we, we know what we're talking about and we know the subject matter, like as, as much as we can humanly give time towards it, we consume it. So that the design then reflects it, if that makes sense. Sure. No, absolutely. I think that's uh, a pretty good uh, kickoff point. You know what I mean? To go to the next thing. So uh, I saw you're a huge fan of the 80s. Anything in particular from the 80s you really love? Oh, man. Like, <laughs> how long do we have on this podcast? <laughs> um, yeah, well, we're big 80s fans. It's so. a tough one, dude. Well, I was born in 79. So a lot. my whole youth was spent, you know, during the, the heyday of of 80s pop culture both the music the film the tv shows the commercials the candy that we had then the ridiculous cereal that we had like i could have if this was a podcast about 1980s breakfast cereal mm-hmm. like i could i could probably talk for an hour just on cereal <laughs> like it was like a main staple of my life in my youth um and still to this day actually kind of a, have an issue with uh with my wife not letting me get the it's it's fucking count chalk at the time right now, right? Like I should, I'm a, you got to get every one. I'm a grown ass man. If I want to eat that, I should be allowed to. Uh, no, I'm teasing. But I mean, there's so many elements of of just the '80s culture that still resonate with me. I would say it's predominantly driven by nostalgia, right? Right. Like that, right. That the the way that films were shot, uh, the way TV shows played out, you know, it was just. Everything about it just—it just reeks of nostalgia, which is also why, like, I madly fell in love with Stranger Things. Like, right? Oh, okay. Holy right. shit! Like every scene of that shot, like I would pause the show and just look at everything they had in the <laughs> background, and they just nailed it. Right? Like every little piece. There's a scene where the 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 sister uh, is is pissed off at her mom. She runs upstairs, gets on the bed, and she has the the pictures that are all torn up, and she reaches for a tape dispenser. And she's going to tape the pictures back together. Like the tape dispenser, it was the same tape dispenser that my third grade teacher had. Like, in, wow. I was like, oh my God. Like, it's just those little moments like that. Like, that's the stuff that I'm like, that's how you do it right. Right. Yeah, they, didn't, was, they didn't shortcut any of it. I feel like, you know, it's like, it's like when you drive by an old house that you've had all these memories in. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly all these memories start flooding back. Each one of those little moments are like that moment to me. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it's that way for me when I eat a a, a grape Skittle. <laughs> like, grape Skittles taste like the 80s to me. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, it's bubble yum for me. Or what is mm. the, the, the one that chew, the one the that baseball? Big League Chew. Big, Big League, League Chew, chew. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hell yes. 
That was the one, man. I mean, you did bring up Stranger Things, so I'm assuming that you're probably a pretty big fan of some of the synthwave and vaporwave, maybe some of the horror stuff. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, and it goes back to even pre-80s, even like late 60s, early 70s. uh, You guys know Goblin? Yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. How could you not, man? Yeah, so big into stuff Goblin did, which... It's not synth by any means. They they dabbled in that, but they use a lot of live instrumentation. But um, that then led into stuff like um, I know I'm going to say his name wrong. Uh, Ennio Morricone is that how you say it? Yeah, it's hard for me too, man. <laughs> uh, but his synth stuff, like on the thing, like holy shit, it's amazing. Uh, great, uh, of course, Carpenter's stuff that he did was awesome. Uh, but I, I like a lot of new stuff too, um, which is why we I reached out to uh, Mitch Murder to do music for Friday Thirteenth. Nice. Uh, I don't know if you listen to Mitch Murder or not. But a little bit. I, I'm still kind of learning a lot of new stuff. Yeah. Well, did you see uh, Kung Fury? Oh, yeah. That's he okay. Did, he did the music for that. That's um, why I know that name. Okay. Um, there's another guy named Sunglasses Kid that we're working with as well in the game. Uh, another super talented guy. He does uh, sort of later 80s, almost early 90s, real poppy stuff. Um, it sounds like a soundtrack to like... 16 candles or something is sort of like his his style it's really really cool highly recommend him uh and then there's like disaster piece that did the soundtrack yeah yeah they did it follows yeah it was amazing uh they've done a lot of other stuff too they like fez and some other games and and stuff but they start to go into like synth slash like noise rock is sort of where they go which is you guys know the band health you know, uh, like, yes, actually, they, I do. they did the soundtrack to Max Payne Three. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Which is uh, but they also have very much a they they lean more towards sort of noise rock, but they have some synth elements in it. But anyway, yes, like I'm a m- massive fan of of synth wave uh, sort of. Uh, even even stuff like Washed Out, which is mm-hmm. a, a band that's sort of more like. Uh, they come up with like all these stupid pretentious names all the time. Like, well, that's chill wave. That's not synth wave. So, okay, whatever. <laughs> Vapor uh, wave. All right, these exactly. Names. I'm just like, whatever. I just think it sounds cool. So, uh, but yeah, I'm def- definitely into it. What about, uh, I mean, this is kind of a generic question, but it's still interesting. I mean, it's cool you're into that kind of the music, but what about flicks from the 80s? Whether just regular flicks or like oh, horror man. flicks? Just curious. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's too many to name. I- I'll just stick with horror just so that we're since this is the you know your podcast theme um stay in I, line west stay in line okay. yeah, right, right. uh first and foremost i gotta call out return of the living dead like it's yes. probably in my top five horror games or horror horror movies of all time and that's not because it was good cinema i know it's not but it, it for me so when that movie came out uh, i begged my mom to take me to see it in the theater now, I was like little, 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 right? My mom yeah. had no idea what it was, and she's like, okay, and takes me in. I made it maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes, and I was like, uh-uh, like totally scarred me, right? <laughs> but then that became like this thing, almost like a, a mountain I had to climb, right? Like I, I, I got to get through this movie. And so like every year I'd make my mom rent it for me, and I would watch – I'd get a little bit further, like 30 minutes in, and I'm like, oh, God, no, turn it off, right? So – that that movie sort of resonates with me personally. Again, I know it, it's not a uh, a harm, hallmark to like a horror film, but um, but I, lo- I loved it for that reason. The Friday Thirteenth movies, of course, that's kind of a shoe in that I have to oh, say say that. Sure. But there are some within it that I'm not so much of a, a fan of. Um, I didn't like Part Five because 
it's not Jason, it's Roy. Uh, so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and then my Jason X, not really for me either. Uh, didn't care for it. And then like anything past that, I'm kind of like, eh, it was okay. Did you like the death scenes in X though? You know, I did like the. Of course, they re, you know, redo the redid the uh, sleeping bag kill, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, that's that's one of my favorites. I like the uh, liquid nitrogen kill. Oh, that's yeah. my favorite kill. That, from that was movie. pretty fucking awesome. So, I have to give props to it for that. But as just a film to sit and watch start to finish, I'm kind of like, eh, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> uh, and I didn't care for the reboot at all because Jason doesn't use tunnels. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that is a little weird. <laughs> um, I like the original Halloween. Of course, that's not really 80s. I think it's like 78, I think, when that came out. So, but still, um, and that's a, a lot of, I mean, a lot of my love, some of it is 70s, but I didn't watch it until the 80s. So, uh, but so it's not really, quote unquote, an 80s horror movie. But for me, that's when I experienced it. Uh, like The Shining, that wasn't 19, I think that was just before when it was that 79 or, sorry. My, uh, are, you know, that's a good top question. I love The Shining. Love, of course, The Thing. Um, Texas Chainsaw is amazing. The first one, that is. I don't care for the rest of them. Um, another sort of guilty pleasure is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's a good like one. Uh, just the campiness of that. Um, that was like a Cinemax movie. You know what uh, I mean? Uh, yeah. Like for me, when <laughs> exactly. Cinemax did horror, and I was like, I stayed up late to watch all that stuff. It, it, for me, it was, and it's just like any other, somebody, anybody else will tell you the same story that's into horror. Like my mom would let me uh, go into the VHS uh, rental place and just be like, yeah, you can get whatever you want, right? And I'm not old enough to see these movies, but she was cool about it, right? And so I would just pick based on what was on the cover, um, yeah, like the whatever looked thing. cool, right? So Killer Clowns is one of those where I was like, oh, this looks cool. Um, actually, the uh, Puppet Master series, like mm -hmm. uh, there was something man. about those covers that I was like, huh, that looks interesting um, and got that. Um, so, yeah, it was – a lot of those selections happened uh, that way. Oh, a Fright Night, that cover of Fright Night. Oh, my God. With the the, the cloud over the um, – you know what I'm talking about? The face oh, yeah, with the, the face in the oh – yeah. God, one of the best covers, like, period. The illustrations uh, back then were just amazing. And I'm glad really that they're were. kind of bringing them back. So For it's sure. nice to see. Yeah, we actually purchased a hard – back book you can get it on amazon and I, I can't remember the name of it it's in the next the next office over from me one of our guys is looking through it for design stuff but it's they took i don't know there's probably 1500 vhs covers inside this book uh it shows you the front and the back of them uh it's awesome uh, it, so, <laughs> just to be able to relive and like look at those covers but like pre 80s stuff like uh i like bay of blood uh also another nice. twitch of the death nerve or Sangria de la, whatever it is in, in Italian. Uh, of course, that's Mario Bava. Um, mm -hmm. Fulci's uh, Zombie 2 was oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, right. The soundtrack the soundtrack to that was awesome, too. Um, and Ronnie, the, guy, the other co-creator on the game, uh, has really started to, to push me towards a lot of the that kind of older stuff because I, again... Was I loved horror movies in the 80s, but then there's like a scene, for example, in one of the Friday 13ths where there's a couple in the bed having sex and Jason comes up and stabs through both of them with um, some type of pole, like a sharp pole or something, right? Like kills them both with one strike and it goes through the bed and you see the this sharp end is now stuck into the under the bed into the wood and blood's coming out, right? And <laughs> I never thought much of that scene, but then uh, Ronnie pointed out, he goes, hey – that there's a scene almost precisely like that, frame by frame, 
from a movie called Bay of Blood you should see. And I'm like, okay. So I pick the movie up and watch it. And I'm like, the only thing that was different was the in Friday the 13th, the female was on the bottom. Uh, having oh, facts. wow. But on Bay of Blood, it's vice versa. But everything else was almost identical, even the way the camera treatment. I was like, holy shit. Like, it's exactly. And so then that became almost like this driving force for me to be like, okay, then I, I need to go back even further uh, and get into late 60s, early 70s horror, like a lot of the Giallo films, and see like what what were they doing then and how did that influence films that we know here in America. And so that started this whole other thing of like, oh, and here's Dario Argento. And you're like, what? And you know the, the Three Mothers films like Suspiria, Inferno, right. et cetera. And of course, Tenebrae and all that. So yeah, for me, it was a big eye-opening experience because I didn't know those films. Like I, did, I didn't know those films uh, when I was growing up. And so getting into them now later in life is really cool to see what they were doing with cinematography then uh and the music in those are just bananas i don't know if you like go back oh i i love them the especially suspiria is just amazing oh sure sure but like bay of blood has got like this weird sort of like funk sort of 60 late 60s real bass like it's almost like a porn soundtrack (laughs) (laughs) i think they did that in i drink your blood too I think it you're was right. Very actually. similar, like that. Yeah. Well, Bay of Blood was on Netflix for for a little while. So if you guys haven't seen it yet, like you should, you should. It's been it a long while, but I definitely want to check There's it out, especially with the with the Friday the Thirteenth correlation there. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Friday the Thirteenth, I mean the the game that you guys are making. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So it takes place in the '80s. Um, is the setting? It's not. Um, we didn't just choose like one of the films and said like, okay, you're playing in part two or something like that. Like we didn't want to do that. We thought that was a little limiting, but um, you can choose uh, from different Jasons uh, from the films. Um, awesome. So one player plays as Jason and then seven others play as camp counselors in Crystal Lake. Um, it's, it's a pretty simple um, idea of, how do you, cause there's not really like a, how, how do you win? Like that's not necessarily the case. Cause when you go watch the films, like you don't win, right? You just survive. <laughs> like that's sort of the point. Right. Um, and so if you're playing as a counselor, there's a few ways to get yourself out of crystal Lake. You can fix a, a vehicle. So there's like a, a car that you got to find parts and try to fix. There's a boat that also you have to find parts, uh, to get it started and running. Uh, once it's running, you still have to drive it and get yourself out of there. Uh, and trust me, Jason will do everything in his power to stop you from doing uh, those things. Uh, you can also locate uh, calling devices like a CB or a phone to try to get help to come to you. But just because you've got a hold of the police, it's not an instant thing. Like they still have to drive and get to the to the camp, and then you have to get yourself to where the cops showed up. Um, and those things are uh, somewhat procedural, so you can't ever predict like a where is the phone, and then b where will the police show up? Like you're not going to know any of those things until it happens. Wow. Uh, Nice. I love the procedural thing. So that's awesome. Yeah. um, So there's also weapons if you want to try to take an aggressive stance against Jason, but it's not recommended. Um, But if you're in a worst case scenario and you get pinned in the corner, then it's good to have a baseball bat or, you know, an ax or something in your hand to try to defend yourself. Uh, We do have a combat system in the game that, um, if you want to go toe-to-toe against him, you, you can definitely try. You can block, you can dodge, things like that. Uh, but again, 
it's Jason, right? So uh, <laughs> trying try to square up with him is, is usually a pretty bad idea. Um, but we give you several ways to get away and get out of that situation. There are places to hide. So if you're inside a cabin and you happen, happen to catch a glimpse of Jason through the window, you've got some hiding spots. Um, you can open a window and jump out a window. You can dive out a window. You can barricade the door so that he can't get in. But he has a sharp object in his hand that he can then chop the door down. So it buys you a little bit of time, but not much. Um, so the game's slated for PC, Xbox One, and PS4. There are three maps in the game. So uh, the beta, which is happening this fall, uh, will be the Higgins Haven map from Part 3. Um, we also have just one much larger map that's just Crystal Lake in general, so Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, and then third and final map is Pakanak Lodge from part two. Nice. And yeah. it's a 7v1. Yeah. Correct. So. so it's asymmetrical multiplayer is a term that people use, uh, which just basically means the player that's playing as Jason has a different feature set and is doing a different thing than what the player playing as counselors are doing. Uh, a, a symmetrical game would be like Call of Duty, for example. You have a gun, I have a gun, we can do the same things, we just shoot each other, right? Yeah, it's it's just really cool because you don't get a lot of games that have that kind of element of uh, like co-op, you know? And yeah. It's, and it's so incredibly unique. I've never seen it before because I'm, I'm running out of games that I can play with my friends that I really dig on, so I think it's awesome. Sure, and the co-op element of it is not required. Like, you don't have to work alongside someone if you don't want to. If you're a counselor and you just want to kind of lone lone wolf this and <laughs> stay away from other players because sometimes being around other people uh, isn't always an advantage because someone's probably doing something stupid uh, and making a lot of noise and Jason can hear that. So unless you're playing with someone that you know and trust and you can tell them to, you know, hey, shut up and they're going to, uh, uh, then you might want to play lone wolf and just kind of be more out on your own and let the bigger targets get picked off while you sort of slink away and try to be stealthy. Yeah. Uh, so Later, man. Them. See you guys. I'm yeah, out of exactly. here. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we try to give the player a lot of different ways to play the game. Um, so there's not just like one linear path that you're, you have to follow. And we don't have like a class based system. It's not like, Oh, you're the medic and that guy's the engineer and they can only perform their tasks. That's not what we do. Like anyone can perform any task. But we adopt a lot of horror tropes to our characters. So, uh, for example, like the jock in our game has like higher strength. So if he swings a baseball bat and hits Jason, he has a higher chance that he may hurt or wound or stun Jason. Whereas like maybe the the nerdy guy or whatever, <laughs> he's he's a little better at like fixing a car than trying to go toe to toe against Jason. So if you're the jock and you spot the nerdy guy, it might be a pretty good team, right? That mm -hmm. he's fixing the car while you sort of stand, uh, watch over him and uh, take a swing at Jason if he gets gets close. But uh, again, it's it allows players to play however they want to. Um, we never want to push someone in sort of a hole and say, you have to perform this task and this is the only task you can do. That's not fun uh, when it comes to games. So everyone can do everything. It's just some are a little better at a task than others. Right. Something that really fascinates me, because I've been following you guys since... You were titling it Slasher Volume 1 Summer Camp. Right. And right. I was like super stoked because I saw, I was like, Tom Savini's attached. I was like, this is going to mm -hmm. be amazing. And I'm really curious how that all started. Like what inspired that? I mean, was it Jason? And 
you know, what character were you actually interested sure. in using? I mean, we had a, we, and we still do have a love affair with um, 80s slasher films. So right. we were looking at, you know, everything from inspiration. Uh, I would say that Friday the 13th was probably the number one because that was the setting we already had chose was like a wooded sort of campground area. Uh, but we were looking at things from Halloween. We were looking at elements of like Texas Chainsaw, for example, is very uh, – you're very isolated. Like if you watch that movie, it's a, it's isolated in you know, West Texas. Right. There's no, nothing around. So uh, it, it's, it's got its, it, that's scary in and of itself. Um, but, and we were looking at cues from like The Burning. Um, so nice. yeah, it's just a lot of these uh, slasher films that we loved, we wanted to sort of write a love letter, so to speak, to those types of, of films. And so that's what we set out to do. And so we, yes, we entitled it Slasher Volume 1 Summer Camp. Uh, from the title, you could tell we were going to have a multiple volume sort of thing. Right. Um, and each one maybe has a different theme. So if the first one was a camp in a wooded area, maybe the second one was in a suburban area with houses and things like that that may have a different killer. Um, but yeah, so I reached out to Tom Savini first and just said, hey, I got this crazy idea. Uh, and it was quite literally went to his website, found email address, uh, emailed him, and he's like, let's get on the call. And so we talked through what we wanted to do, and he's like, this sounds awesome. I'm totally in. I'm like, cool. That's great. Uh, and then that led to um, meeting uh, Kane Hodder. And so I talked to Kane and just said, hey, um, here's this thing, and Tom and I are, are – hey, Tom's interested. He wants to help us out with it. I like what you did at, with, with Jason. I liked you and Hatchet. Um, do you think you could be uh, our killer in our game? We would need to motion capture you and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, yeah, this sounds amazing. Uh, he's like, I've actually done a game. I did, um, I did, he did motion capture for a game in the past, but the game never came out. Uh, so he already had some, um, knowledge on like how you do the stuff. So that was helpful as well. Uh, so we brought him into the fold. And then lastly, um, I knew I wanted, a great soundtrack, and I always loved Harry Manfredini's stuff. Of course, everything he did on Friday Thirteenth, right? Uh, we adored it. He also did House and House Two and Swamp Thing, and like all these like classics that just had like great, great uh, music. So uh, Kane knew him, and so Kane just passed me his cell phone number, and I called him and said, "This is this thing I'm doing," and he's like, "Heck yeah, count me in." So that was the sort of the initial team that we put together, and we sat down with the wrote the full design of the game. Uh, started working with the dev team Ilphonic out of Denver, Colorado, and um, started whipping up the world. Got some screenshots together and sent it to IGN, and uh, IGN ran it, and we got a lot of buzz around the game. And then probably two weeks later, my phone rings, uh, and it's Sean S. Cunningham. Yes, dude. and I'm like, holy shit! Like I'm about to get sued or something, right? Like I was like, <laughs> I thought, oh no, I've danced too close to the fire here, right? Like he is totally come to bring the wrath down on me, uh, because one of the screenshots we released, um, it was, actually it was just a piece of concept art, um, showed a campground setting and these people sitting around a campfire. It was very, very Friday Thirteenth Part Two, like the opening scene where they're sitting around the fire. It was very much that. Oh yeah. But then down the bottom left corner, there's a little sign. Um, to, to say, like, what's the name of the camp? And we called it Forest Green, which was from Friday 13th Part 6. They renamed Camp Crystal Lake Forest Green so that uh, in hopes to get more tourists and things like that to come and people to forget that it's, you know, really Crystal Lake, a.k.a. Camp Blood, right? Right. So that was our corner, sort of our wink nod to fans to be like, hey, look, you know, Friday 13th, haha. Well, 
so I get that call from Sean and I'm like, Oh no, like he saw that image and he's now here to, you know, gut me. Uh, but he was actually like on the contrary, complete opposite and was like, I love what you're doing with this game. It sounds amazing. I read your description of what you want to do with this game. I've been on your website, check things out. Like this is exactly what I've always wanted to do. And he's like, I've had numerous game pitches come across my desk and none of them really made sense from, from my, his standpoint and what to do with the franchise. He goes until I read what you're doing here. This is amazing. Would you consider working with this license? And I'm like, holy shit. Yes. <laughs> I was like, but wow. we're a small, like, we're a small team. Like we don't have the kind of money that's requir- required to pay for this license. Cause I knew from what little knowledge I had in the world of Hollywood, I knew licensed IP is incredibly expensive. Yeah. I was right? going to say, yeah, that's what we were wondering about. Yeah. And so I'm like, I- I'm sorry. Like, I, I, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. We just don't have the money that would we, we, be required for an upfront licensing fee. And he said, oh, no, you don't understand. He's like, I, I love what you're doing with this. He goes, I know the game would be in, in good hands, so I'm giving it to you gratis. Absolutely wow. no charge. He goes, just kick me some points on the back end. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, so after I like passed out, right, <laughs> I, like, I get back up. I'm like, yes, I, you know, accept the offer or whatever. And so then we set forth to... Uh, change what we kind of already were doing because uh, we already had some things in there that were kind of generic that weren't quote unquote Friday the 13th. Um, and like the direction we were going with a killer in that game had to be sort of shelved and start looking at, well, now we have this awesome palette to paint from, right? I have all these Jasons to choose from now. <laughs> um, and so not only was there some change in that aspect, but we also knew we needed more money because that's a huge franchise. People are going to want this game and it's now got much bigger than what we had originally set out to make. Right. Yeah. So that's why we put together that Kickstarter video and launched a Kickstarter campaign. Um, and, and yeah, and it was successful and yeah, it was just sort of off to the races after that. Yeah. All the stars aligned. It was, uh, yeah, they really did. That's they, really awesome. That's like a dream come true in a way, you know, it's I just mean, like, if, if I was like a really smart and clever person, I would say like, that was what I was intending to do from the beginning. Right. But <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't claim that it was, it was just like stars aligned and it just sort of happened. Well, I mean, I know that you had some news here recently that uh, some people were okay with and some were a little sad by, um, mm. but you had the delay come out and, I, and it seems to me like it's for good reason. So I never take it personally when anybody does take more time to make a game better. Sure. So can you tell us maybe a little bit about that? Yeah. So as soon as we announced the Kickstarter and we had all our stretch goals and things on there, one of the stretch goals was single player and, and offline bots, like bot support, because there's some players that maybe have a spotty internet. There's some players that just don't like to get onto a server and play with other people. They just want to play by themselves. Right. Others want to continue playing a game for years, years, years later after the servers have been turned off. They still want to be able to boot this game up and play it, right? And so we had – that was a number one request across Twitter and social alike. I mean we're talking tens of thousands of requests of people saying, please put single player in. And so we were hoping, well, we'll hit that financial goal on Kickstarter and we'll be able to do that. Well, we didn't hit that. Uh, but, then, but the requests continued. Like people just kept saying, please add this, please add this. And we're like, yeah, you know, if the game launches and it makes money, uh, that would be a top priority for us. Uh, but I didn't stop trying to raise additional funds because I knew it was something that everyone wanted. 
Um, so I basically, you know, beat the street for about six months meeting with, you know, different groups. Some were publishers, like traditional publishers, some were just like private investors, VC firms, things like that. And just, you know, talked about the idea and what we wanted to do with the game. Uh, and someone stepped up and, and wrote a check to finish out everything we needed and everything we wanted to do, uh, in the game, which was super awesome. Um, but then it takes, it takes time for us to be able to to make an announcement like that because there's so many entities involved with an IP this large, right? right. Like it, it's not just, I mean, it's, it's not that I can make a decision and then it happens. Like I have to get, you know, checks and balances from multiple people, even including Warner brothers, right? Like there's a lot involved in all of that. So we knew we wanted to make this delay and it was, the delay was for us to add single player foundation to the game because, we knew an important piece of this would be we want fans would want to be able to play both offline or online and still get experience points for that. Right. right? Like still be able to unlock stuff in the meta game of, of Friday the 13th. And so that required an, an entire new player profile system. So we already had one in place for multiplayer, but now we had to, had to strip that out and like rebuild it so that you could it would have net code included that could do a server check and yada, 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 right? So we had to like rebuild that whole system just to lay that out uh, the right way. So if we did, th- if we waited and did that after we launched the game, it would push single player to more like winter uh, of 2017. And that felt wrong to players that if they, <laughs> that they wouldn't want to wait that long for it. And so it was like, well, if we start baking this stuff in right now, we push the game out a few months um, then we already have a strong foundation that we can hit running and get it done faster to get people that content that they really want. Uh, and then we made sure that anyone who backed us or had pre-ordered the game got the, all that content for free because uh, they believed in us from the beginning. So we didn't want to charge them additional money for that because I'd already raised the money for it, right? It was already paid for. So let's, let's share the love with everyone. Um, and then the price of the game uh, upon that announcement went from a $30 game to a $40 game. So if you've been sitting on the fence saying, I want single player, I want single player. Well, now it's available, but it's 10 bucks more now because, well, you waited, right? Everyone else that believed in us in the beginning, they should get that stuff for free. That feels fair. Um, we also included, uh, Tommy Jarvis as a playable character in the game, which we're pretty excited about. That was, that was another stretch goal we didn't hit, but, uh, I put some of that money towards that. And then we also announced uh, Pakanak Lodge, which we just covered as the third playable map uh, in the game. So um, we got a lot of other goodies that are planned for in the future. Some of these will be uh, some DLC. Some of them we're sort of holding close to our chest that people may actually see when the game actually la- uh, launches. Some like content we haven't discussed yet publicly. So we're pretty stoked to get a lot of that stuff moving forward now. So we didn't delay the game because something was wrong or something no. broken or like... Uh, that wasn't the point of it. It was to get players what they wanted. Awesome. Yeah, we're. I'm really excited that the single player is there. So is there like any kind of like juicy tidbits you can share with us today that you probably haven't released yet? Hmm. Juicy tidbits. Well, so did you guys see our... Um, X triple I video that we released with all the kills. There was 13 kills 
Yeah. Yeah. That had like, uh, so we use Crazy Licks, which is a, uh, I think they're Swedish metal band that plays like 80s style music. Uh, so yeah, great video, awesome video, loved it. Um, I guess one juicy piece of it is um, those were, those kills that you saw were, I guess, somewhere in the like PG 13 range in terms uh-huh. of the gore that you're gonna see. So we, because everyone was like, oh, great, you showed us all the kills. Like, now there's no surprise. And we're like, dude, like, you don't even know. Like, you, you just saw. seen nothing yet. <laughs> no way. No way in the world. So, uh, so they're, but we're going to save a lot of those for the actual game and let the people discover those things. We're not going to just show every single kill before the game launches because that does ruin the surprise. Um, but that's, uh, I think, one little piece that's in there is, or one little juicy tidbit for you is there's a lot more coming and they're a lot, a lot more gory. Um, we just have to, there's a delicate balance between what we can show that we know fans want to see and then what's going to piss off the ESRB. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. And you definitely, I mean, for me, I mean, I definitely want to be able to just when it happens, just be like, Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's, that's definitely what we have in store for, for players and even just, some of the most basic kills that we have in the game, and I, I use that that term loosely because anyone else that would that has never played our game, if they saw that kill, they would be like, "Oh my god, like that's so brutal." <laughs> but like even still in our playtest today, it's still hugely rewarding for like to do the the choke slam and then just like, totally snap someone's neck with your foot. Like it just feels good <laughs> to like do those to do those things, um, and it's pretty funny in our internal playtest too because we're. Uh, like just a, a wall apart from each other playing, and I never, I never know exactly because when you're playing as Jason, you don't know, you don't see, at least at this point, you don't see the gamer tags of anyone's name. You just see a person running. So right. I would like grab someone in a chokehold and like pick them up and start the 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 kill, and I hear someone like two offices away go motherfucker. So <laughs> then I know like who it was I just grabbed or whatever. So, uh, but anyway, it's 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 a ton of fun. We're, we still have fun playing with it, uh, and. You know, we've been in doing playtests now for shit like nine months, and we still uh, enjoy the little moments that that happen in the game because there's so much variety, there's so much unpredictability. The way that one person plays as Jason is not how someone else does. Like some some players play as like a a very like um, like they they kind of want to just bust up the crowd. Like they just kind of they, they'll chop through a door and just bust into a cabin like very fast, brutal kind of a Jason, right? Nice. Where others are way more quiet and stealthy and they like stand in the windows and just be creepy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and scare people like, oh shit. Like, and like you can almost control the jump scare, right? Like it's pretty, it's pretty fun to, to play Jason in different ways. And it's fun to be a counselor and try to go against those different play styles, right? Cause it's that way it makes it sort of different every time. Well, you know, and it's funny cause I remember you guys did the uh, cabin preview Yes, and uh, I just remember seeing him outside of the window, uh, like creeping around, and that just freaked me out a little bit, you know, because it's oh. like stalker Jason, like exactly, <laughs> exactly, even Tom Jason, you know. And I'm kicking myself now because at the time I was like hurting a little bit for the finance, but it's like, man, I wish I would have gotten in on that Kickstarter, and it just was <laughs> ah. But anyway, man, we're we're super excited about it, and and I wanted to ask a final question here of you. Um, you know, the, the, the original NES game, 
for the <laughs> for Jason game, the Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, did you play it? And it, how oh, many yeah. controllers did you break trying to beat it? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely played it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I here's the thing with that game for me was um, I I I rent I, it was a rental. I didn't buy it. I rented it because it was Friday the Thirteenth, and I was like, oh my god, like this is going to be the best thing ever, right? And I, even as a kid, I was like, this isn't scary, right? Like, I, I didn't feel scared whatsoever. And that was, for me, was like the biggest letdown when I played that was I never felt scared. Um, and then the, the clunkiness of parts of it, like, you look at the map and you're like, yeah. okay, I'm supposed to go north. And so you go up on in the game world, which actually took you down. Yeah. You know, like, the f- you know, like it's, <laughs> there's stuff like that that I'm like, huh? And you're like throwing rocks at spiders and zombies. And I'm like, none of these things were in the movies. I don't understand. Like, what's the point of this? Right. And so for me, it was that game and a few others that were like licensed IP games that became sort of a jarring moment for my youth. Right. Is to be like, oh, wait, like just because it has this name on it that I do love that the game isn't going to be the same thing. Like the game's going to, is actually going to suck. Like that, that became a moment for me. And that, that game was one of them. I actually never broke uh, a controller on that. Uh, I broke one on Battletoads. Oh, <laughs> I almost broke my friend's is face that, on Battletoads. <laughs> is that the one where you were going on the jet ski and it you kept hitting the walls? Because that one was really frustrating for me yes. as a kid. Yes, that was one of the levels in that game, uh, for sure. So, um, I, I, again, I don't, it's a love-hate sort of thing, I think, with the original NES version. Because um, even, I never, the guy down the street for me, he owned it and he ended up beating it one day when I was over there. But, it was like you have to beat it twice if memory serves me because you beat it the first time and it's like you've knocked Jason down, but he's going to come back again or something. And you have to just basically do it again. And then the second time he's like dead, dead, dead or whatever. So that was like kind of a rip off. I thought, too, that like he and I stayed up all night playing, <laughs> watching him play this game. And he like finally does all the dumb shit you're supposed to do. And then it was like, oh, now you got to do it all again. And you're just like, well, screw this game, right? Like this is just a- well, it's just two games in one. Well, hey, man, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing with us all this. We're really excited for the game. Oh, yeah. And uh, so thank you for coming on, Wes. Oh, absolutely, guys. It was a pleasure. And we're back, guys. That was an awesome interview with Wes Keltner. Thank you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us, man. Really cool guy. Very cool guy. Very into a lot of the same stuff that we're into. You know, the game is going to be coming out um, in in parts uh, over the course of now to summer. And uh, I think that's a good thing because we're getting more content. Yeah. Um, The game is actually working well and the beta is coming out soon. I'm excited for it because I want extra content. I want a single... I'm so glad they're doing a single-player game. Oh, yeah. Because there is people... There are people that want to do the single-player element. And I just want to be in that world. Right. You know what I mean? So, But I'm super excited for it. There's so many kills and so many ways to kill in the game. I remember... I was thinking about the part where he was talking about... 
uh, the the jock is probably gonna hit him harder, <laughs> right? And then I kept thinking about the geeky dude like breaking the bat and like, <laughs> but yeah, I'm super excited for it, guys. In the information below, I'll give you the website. I'll link maybe a video or something like that. Please also follow Gun Media, Friday the Thirteenth game, and also Wes Keltner. And uh, please share this so that uh, we can get the word out. Hell yeah, dude! Now. Uh, we're gonna work our way right into the Friday the 13th series. Like, the entire fucking franchise, guys. Huge franchise. So, Mike. French fries. <laughs> French fries. <laughs> you started off with the first one. You probably started it before us, actually. Uh, yeah. I, it, the first one is one of my favorite flicks ever, dude. Well, I don't say one of the favorite flicks ever, but it's one of the films that helped me get into filmmaking in general. Really? Yeah, I mean, not only because of the film itself, but uh, because of uh, Tom Savini's uh, uh, practical effects. Yeah. You know? Well, they call him the, the birth child of Jason, but that was before, the that was after the first movie, so. Yeah, it's a, it's a really unique flick, the first one. I mean, it's it's completely different than, than any of the other ones in the series. Right. Uh, it's, uh, we can talk about this in a second, because the, uh, the other films kind of, transition to a different type of film i mean well first of all let, let me say this uh we have friday the 13th because of john carpenter's halloween halloween yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah well in actuality sean cunningham worked with wes craven as a producer for the last house on the left and he also did uh, some softcore porn before that oh yeah for sure so okay. he worked with them pretty closely that's cool man how close <laughs> <laughs> but, they, they snuggled but they did say you know that halloween was a big influence it was dude it it it, it basically created the uh the slasher genre that we had in the 80s right it's an insanely important film it, I, if i'm correct i mean i don't know but don't quote me on this i think it's the highest grossing independent film ever created really you know possibly well, off, versus the income and quality or whatever the fuck it is you know as far as i know it is like right. I said, don't quote me, but I i mean, you might want to take uh, Blair Witch into, into account. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that yeah. can't be. There's no way. Yeah. But anyways, uh, the first Friday the 13th, man, dude, fuck, man. They had a budget of uh, $55,000, and uh, it looks like it grossed over $39 million in the box Jesus. office. Jesus. That's a lot of cash, dude. Well, I have that they spent five hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars the domestic total gross was almost 40 million either way it made a lot of money domestically yeah, basically it, made a lot it of probably cash. made like 60 or 70 probably oh well, no probably like 55 or 60 total yeah. worldwide and a lot of people who watched it a lot of the uh uh critics and stuff like roger ebert and siskel uh, actually siskel yeah they panned it as being a piece of shit Right. Like, don't even watch it. You're a dumbass if you watch it. Well, I remember uh, reading about this. As Siskel thought it was a movie to fight against uh, for uh, the women's movement, actually. Really? He said what it, it, that it was basically putting down women, that they were stupid and da-da-da-da-da. But really, in my opinion, I felt like it was really about strong women. Like kind of a feminist-style movie. Right. right. Like, wow. you know, a lot of the big big <clears throat> movies. I think it was kind of an inspiration in that way. Even Last House on the Left. Oh, dude, Last House on the Left is a huge, huge, huge feminist movie. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't understand why they felt that way. But it just goes to show you that even if a fucking reviewer gives it total shit marks, you know what I mean? It still can be a cult classic 
and uh, revered movie. So oh. don't take reviewers to heart. You know what I mean? I know. Like, like I was telling you earlier, like uh, Siskel and Ebert panned uh, this movie, but they gave uh, From Beyond high marks. From Beyond? Yeah, the Stuart Gordon flick. Huh. Which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah, and that was kind of sexually depraved a little bit. Yeah, so we can talk about it. For its time. Well, yeah, we can talk about it in a different episode, but it's... Patrick is sleeping right now, just in case you guys... (laughs) I'm a little inebriated. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Are you being serious? I'm a little inebriated. Yeah, yeah. I'm inebriated. Well, an interesting fact about Friday the 13th, by the way, is that that before the movie was even... They even knew what it was about. Oh, dude. They made a movie poster... Which is kind of essentially the same thing as what they do with Kickstarter nowadays. In oh, a way. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like they make a poster and they have an, a concept, an idea. Sometimes they have like a video. Uh, but movie poster was made without any knowledge of what the movie was about. Okay. And they just kind of said, hey, Friday the 13th. And it was like breaking through some glass. And they were like, let's make this. Uh, apparently Sean Cunningham was like, dude, Friday the 13th. That's such a great... I could make money with that. And so... Apparently, some producers were like, "Fuck yeah, let's let's make this. What is this about?" Like, and so they came up with a story, and uh, it turned into one of the biggest fucking things. And the other thing too, I want to mention too, is that well, we can get into this. Is that the original writers on the project liked the idea of having a film about a mom who was uh, so in exacting love, exacting revenge. Yeah, exacting revenge. She was so in love with her kids, she was willing willing to kill for them. And she and a lot of the people involved with the project hated the fact that they turned it into something where the killer was the... You know, they didn't want the killer to be someone to to root for. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, like, I was watching uh, the interview with Betsy Palmer. I watched her talk about how she had so much fan, so many fans come oh, up to her yeah, and treat yeah. her like a mom. Because they, like, actually felt bad for her losing her son. Oh, and it, just to let you know, she's the one that plays... Uh, Jason's mom. Yeah. Jessica, she's yeah. Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. But um, based on, she says at the very end of the movie, she's like, she says, kill her mom. It's, you can hear her say, kill her mommy or something like that. And they took the first ma and turned it into the whole uh, Harry Manfredini turned it into the basic soundtrack. Right. So they took the first, two first letters of each word. Right. The, so, yeah. And it just, it became a thing. I know that they changed it later on. Yeah. Right. Um, but to give you guys an idea, this movie came out on May 9th, 1980. Oh, the other thing, too, I want to mention, too, in regards to the uh, soundtrack. Okay. We kind of talked about this a little bit, but I think I want to bring it up. It's very, very, very extremely reminiscent of Psycho and Reanimator. Oh, yeah. Well, they do talk about how they were very, uh, they were basically making a reverse Psycho. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and my wife, Laura, mentioned the same thing when I yeah. watched it with her. She's like, this is basically reverse psycho. Yeah, they, they said it in the uh, in the, in the the documentary about oh, it. Oh, wow, so, dude, so, cool. So it is, in fact, it's cool that she knew that right off the bat. Yeah. But but it is, it makes sense, like, because it's, it's like a mother complex. Right, especially the way she was talking to herself. Right. Like oh, she sure. was doing the mother and, and then the Jason. Yeah. yeah, right. Because she was stuck on the child, like... In Psycho, the the child was stuck on the mom. So it's surprising she didn't have his like dead body like hung up <laughs> in the fucking house or some shit. Although he did have her severed head in the sequel, right? It's the, it's the stalking. So stuff. then it turned back. Yeah, I guess you know. <laughs> and this is the really interesting thing to me about Friday the Thirteenth. The series, like literally, like the first eight movies took place in the eighties. 
So over 10 decades. Wow, dude. All right, man, 10 decades. Over 10 years. Jeez. <laughs> 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 All right, the alcohol's kicking in. I probably drank some fucking whatever the fuck it is in that fucking shot we did. But anyway, it took place over 10 years. And that's pretty impressive. Like, yeah. what movie can you guys say, other than The Avengers, which comes out every two years? Right. Like, what can you say that has ever done that, like, year after year? Essentially, when you break it down, like, mathematically, it's basically a movie every year and two months or so. We don't really get that anymore. I mean, we had that, to some degree, with maybe Saw. That's what I was thinking, too. I was yeah. like, that's kind of compared to but that. But you really can't compare it to Saw, because it's... Saw is, is very encapsulated, very, you know, it, for me. It, it is a different thing. It's iconic in the sense that it, and I give Saw major props for this, it brought gore to the mainstream again. Oh, yeah, dude, for sure. In, in a lot of ways. It, I think it ultimately changed the MPAA ratings system. Which it should, because the MPAA can suck it's, a fucking yeah, dick dude, in and hell. By the way, guys, we're going to go into that a lot in this Friday the 13th oh, dude, for episode. Sure. But part two came out in 1981, literally a year later. Wow. So I don't know if they were in production while they were shooting the other one or whatever. But um, basically, all the cast from the first movie was dead. So they they basically made Jason a character that survived. Yeah. Because oh. they didn't know what to do. Oh, and I want to bring it to this too. Because like I said, the writer, and I don't know if it was anybody in... Oh, oh the Palmer... I think as, as well. Right. Like, didn't like the idea of Jason becoming a killer because he was a victim. Right. But the idea of bringing Jason at the end, uh, from what I read, came from Tom Savini. Right. he wanted to see some kind of, like, twist or a cliffhanger at the end. Right. Well, like the first one. The first one was a huge cliffhanger. You're well, like, yeah, it, that was his idea. Yeah. Well, Mike, what do you think, uh, and, and Patrick, what do you think your favorite death scenes were for the first mm-hmm. movie? Oh, for the first movie, where uh, uh, Kevin Bacon gets shanked. Oh, yes! With the fucking arrow? Yeah. Through his throat, Through right? his throat, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm like such a hardcore Tom Savini fan. Uh, I actually have one of his books over here that I didn't... I don't know if I showed you, but I showed No. But uh, his special effects is one of the reasons it got into film. Right. You know, and one of, one of the reasons I started like learning about practical effects. I literally wanted to go to his school. Oh, that is fantastic. Uh, and that effect is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, that was a really good one. They kind of mimicked it throughout the series, actually, throughout the franchise. Um, but yeah, what's it called? Grand Illusions, the art and technique of special makeup effects <clears throat> from the films of Tom Savini. But yeah, man, like that scene where he got the arrow through the throat, although I will say probably the most iconic death in the whole movie has got to be Mrs. Voorhees beheading. Right. Like, honestly, yeah, I think I think that one is probably the most iconic and is most remembered and yeah. will always be remembered because that is what started Jason. That's what made him. Right. Yeah. Him seeing his mom get beheaded. Alice, who was the only survivor from the first movie, other than Jason, that you didn't know about, she comes back, but they like were just like, oh, let's just get her out of the way. You know, so they they literally did not write lines for Alice's character. Wow. So all of the beginning of that fucking the second movie, when she's like talking on the phone and everything like that, all improv. Shit. So she just made that off on the spot. Oh, wow. Because they didn't write any script for her. And then they just... Drilled a fucking screwdriver into her head. Well, that sounds appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
at the time, I had heard that Tom Savini actually didn't want to be a part of it, and I'm not sure if it's because Sean Cunningham wasn't directing it this time. I mean, a, a part of the sequel? Right. But yeah, um, Steve, uh, Tom Savini chose The Burning over part two. Uh, Stan Winston actually dropped out, and Carl Fortin ended up doing the special effects. So oh, there was shit. like three people attached to the second movie. Like, Tom Savini didn't want to... I'm, I'm assuming it's probably because Sean wasn't a, a, attached to it. Oh, damn. Steve Miner was actually... He was the assistant uh, director, I think, on the first movie. Okay. And he became... It was his first directorial debut. Oh, damn. So Steve Miner jumped in and uh, did part two, which actually, I really don't mind part two. Did you like it? It was kind of cheesy, but it's still... Well, let me say this. You know, the other films kind of cross into that, like, Freddy Krueger territory, right. where it kind of, like, started parodying itself. But the second one had its creepy moments. Right. The original code name for the uh, for the movie was called Jason, by the way. Oh, really? So yeah, I didn't know that. I don't think anybody knew. They wanted to try to kind of keep it under wraps Oh yeah. for the second one. 1981, uh, too, as well. Yeah, it came out in 1981, uh, April 30th. To be exact. Uh, so it wasn't too short. I mean, it was pretty much a year later. So it's like crazy how they... Not that these movies were like super big budget movies. These oh, were, yeah. You could knock them out pretty quick. Yeah. And I'm surprised that the first one cost over $550,000, to be quite honest with you. The, the interesting fact about part two is that it takes place two months after the first movie, supposedly. And the first actual scene of Jason walking... Was played by a woman. Oh, really, dude? Really? Yeah. So the first time you see his legs like walking forward, it was actually played by a, a chick. So he was wearing heels. There, <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> she was. He was wearing the, the costume. She was wearing the costume. But it's interesting to know, though, right? You know, like the first entrance to this like major icon in the history of. Friday the 13th, is actually played by a woman. Yeah, that's very interesting, dude. <laughs> it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. You remember Crazy Ralph from the, the first one? He was the one, you're all doomed. Oh, yeah, he's in the second one. Yeah, he's in the second one, but he dies this time. Okay. So Crazy Ralph uh, gets killed off. Uh, they put barbed wire around his neck, Jason does, <laughs> oh, yeah. and like chokes him out and kills him, basically. Chokes him out. So he's the first death in the part two, technically. But uh, I actually really like that guy. And they kind of bring him, they sprinkle Doom guys into the series. I think there's like three or four other movies. Three three other movies, I think they, they put a Doom. Oh, you're Doom. all doomed. Doom. They do it in part eight. I know that. Okay. Because he's always like, he says it like four or five times. It's like, all right, dude, chill out. Why don't you go have a drink, sailor? Doom. <laughs> like, but... Uh, like, what do you do when someone says that to you? I don't know. Fucking get up and leave the building? Yeah, like, I, well, the boat, even? Oh, just give him a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go buy yourself something nice to drink there, fella. Put a few coins in his uh, fucking cup. <laughs> or guitar case, whatever it may be. Buy him be. a coffee, a, a, a latte. <laughs> also, one of the actors that, that did the stunts as Jason, he actually got his finger cut by the machete at the very end. Oh, you know, really? You know when she's like puts on the sweater? Okay. And she's trying to trick him into thinking that she's oh, her, yeah. his mom. 
he she's like she pulls the, the machete out and she's like swinging it down and he's got like a pickaxe and he sees her the, his mother's head to the left of her and realizes oh, that she's yeah. not the mother in the first place. He starts getting confused. Yeah, and he Jason blocks... Jason is just very easily confused. Well, I mean, he's he's got an oblong head. <laughs> <laughs> he drowned. But he realizes, he sees his mom's head on the display next to the chick, Alice. Oh, She's yeah. got her head to the left yeah. on the display with the fucking screwdriver in her head. Which is, oh, and her right side. But anyway... Uh, but the actor who played Jason at that point, he actually got his hand cut um, by a machete. And guess how many stitches he had? Uh, probably a billion. No, 13. 13! Literally oh. 13 stitches. Wow, he had to go to the car. hospital to get it fixed. Wow. She felt bad because what she did is she was like swinging down faster than he could put it up. Oh, wow. So it hit his finger right on top. Ah, damn. It's happened to me before. Oh, really? People swung machetes at you? Depends on how much I had to drink. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this uh, show's taking a turn. Very revealing. So, at the box office, it did about $21.7 million at the box office. Yeah. Which is pretty good for that time frame in 1981. And also for that type of film. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it didn't do as much as the first one. But it did enough that it, it still made enough for many, many, many more sequels, obviously. Yeah. And this is kind of like the curse and blessing of the whole sh- series, right? It's like it did well enough, but didn't do good enough sometimes. But it's still, like, found a place in our hearts. What, what were some of your favorite death scenes in that? Did you did you have any? I don't know. The, the only really standout scene for me was when... Uh, I forget her name, the actress, and uh, the character, when she runs into the house and finds a severed head. And like you're referencing, putting oh. on the, the sweater and stuff. Because it it's a very uh, Texas Chainsaw reminiscent kind of scene for Well, you, like, bust through the door and everything. Uh, I, I just like seeing... I, I like the altar he made to his mom. Yeah, it's and, dark. And the fucking severed head. I mean... I mean two severed heads. Two severed heads, okay. It's, it's I mean, like I said, very Chainsaw. It could be very Ed Gein. It could be very um, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, in a way. Right. Uh, that's why I liked it. It had a very real serial killer kind of, like, feel to it. Cool. Yeah, I'm, one of my favorite scenes I thought is probably one of the coolest death scenes in the entire series, honestly, for me. One of. Okay. Uh, one of, like, five or something like that. Like, I think it's the co- one of the coolest. Um, is the one where the the guy in the wheelchair. Oh, yeah. He gets uh, the machete to the face, and then he falls backwards down the front porch. Oh, yeah. And then dude. goes down the stairs. the stairs and stuff. Like, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> Like and he's because so he's, lifeless. Like, can you imagine how frightened <laughs> he would be going backwards down the stairs? <laughs> Another scene that I actually really liked that they cut out, and I saw like stills of. Okay. That I th- it looked really cool, and like they really put together a lot of work for it. Was there was a spear? You know, well they they still did it in the movie, but they cut out the really cool part. Oh yeah. Is the spear where the spear goes to the two kids having sex? Oh, through the uh, their, through the, the bed and everything. Oh, that was a good scene. Yeah, but they actually had the part. They built a, like a, a prosthetic body for the girl, and the guy was like crouched with his legs or whatever. Oh, okay. And they stabbed a spear through her back, and it goes through. And literally, that even though they say that they didn't know that this about this movie, or that they they didn't they said they didn't steal it from anything, but they said it. A lot oh, of people yeah. are saying it is like. Yeah verbatim and this is what Wes was talking about oh for sure yeah bring this up for sure dude that he said it was stolen from Mario Bava's 
um, Twitch of the Death Death Nerve. Oh, and I, I have not... I have seen that movie, but it has been a long time. So now I need to watch it. Because I need to see what that fucking scene is. What we need to do is a Mario Baba episode. Right? Yeah, well, I did watch Black Sunday recently, so that was pretty fun. Those are two of my favorite scenes. Like, I wish that they would have showed more in the in the spear one, but whatever. Pat, do you have... Did you get to see those? I didn't rewatch those, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I did Pat's not. Pat's sitting over there all, like, frumpy. I started from three. Okay. So. Well, the third part came out in 1982, literally another year later. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was August 13th, so they had an extra six months on this one. Same director, too, Steve Miner. Steve Miner did it again. And the funny thing is, and this is a really interesting part, by the way, is that Frank Mancuso was an assistant producer on the first or second one, I think. And all these people, like, just backed out at the last second. Really? So wow. he suddenly got grandfathered in very quickly to become the producer. Huh. And literally, because of that, his whole career started. Dude, that's wow. phenomenal. Frank Mancuso is literally the producer's, the father of the Friday 13th series. Like, he's been a part of it for everything. I mean, like, you know, obviously Sean Cunningham... But Frank Mancuso was a huge supporter, kind of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy, but he was a very young producer. A lot of people didn't believe in him, but he got shit done. So uh, he was one of those guys. It's just like, it's, it's interesting that he was able to build his entire career on that. So I just thought that was cool. No, it's cool, man. Part three was going to have the main girl from part two and a trauma hospital. And they were going to try, like Jason was trying to find her. Kind okay. of what it reminds me, very similar to another slasher. Oh, Halloween too. Yeah. So essentially, he was going to go in, murder everybody in the hospital, try to get her. It sounds exactly like Halloween two to me. Right. You know what I mean? And maybe that's why they dropped it. They didn't really say, but it just it seems like that was cool. But oh, and to 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 bring it back up, Frank Frank Mancuso. Junior, by the way, is he got to produce? This was his first film, the third one. Oh shit! As his as a executive producer. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Like and the third one was the the first one in three D, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, that was actually uh, ahead of its time. The three D part, even today, people say that that's one of the best three D movies. It's the three D is incredibly campy, though. Oh, it's, yeah. it's horrible, but they spent so much money on that camera, because at the time, in 1983, it was, or 82 probably, I guess, it was like fucking expensive as fuck, dude. Well, we, didn't we have 3D earlier than that, though? They they did it in like the 50s and 60s. Yeah, but it wasn't as good but as But they was. hadn't really used it, and they had this new camera that came out. Oh, okay. That they were actually doing it with. They used it was called a Mark's 3D film process. Okay. And so, do you know what the most important thing in the whole entire history of the series that what? this film has to do with? This is where he first gets the hockey mask. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's very important. It's where he finds the hockey mask, and now I'm, I'm drawing blanks as to where he found the hockey mask. Well, oh, that's right. Yeah, the the Shelly kid. Yeah, the one character had it. That's right. Yeah, because the Shelly kid is the fat dude. He's like the stereotypical fat kid that's trying to get the attention of the hot girl. He's got like the hottest date there, by the way. <laughs> but he, he's so shy, he doesn't know what to do. So he tries to scare her all the time because he figures that, 
even though he doesn't have the looks, she'll pay attention to him because he scared her all the time. Which ends up being a bad thing for him in the end. <laughs> Not that she could have helped him anyway, but... The, the, oh, I want to go back to 3D, by the way. Okay. The 3D that they did for this film was so successful that it spawned all of these other 3D movies to come out. So this was like, in a way, not a pioneer necessarily, but it reopened the doors for 3D for a lot of horror movies, including Amityville 3D. Oh, dude. There was tons of other ones. It was a trendsetter. Like, literally, uh, Friday the 13th had done this many times because... With the Friday the Thirteenth series, they they it also spawned many other holiday movies. You know what I mean? That came out with like a, a holiday killer of some sort. Oh no, that's right because uh, I, Christmas Evil was one of them. Yeah, well, it makes sense because like, and this is something we we maybe talk about on another show. But uh, you make a sh- you make a, sh- a, f- a film called Friday the Thirteenth. Right. Every Friday the Thirteenth, people are going to watch it. You make a Christmas movie. Every Christmas right. people are going to watch it. You make a ha- Halloween movie, every Halloween people are going to watch it. That's smart advertising. I know. I like you th- um, Well, if it's a good movie. I mean, otherwise it sucks. Yeah, but even going as far as like Alice Cooper's uh, School's Out for Summer, he makes so much money off of that because every time School's Out for Summer, motherfuckers play that song and he cashes a check. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alice Cooper actually did music in one of the movies, and oh, I can't well, remember which one it is. Cool, man. I think it might... I can't remember. Okay. Richard Brooker was actually the guy that played Jason in this movie. And he he's a much more active and very intelligent Jason yeah. than the previous one. More, more a human. Yeah. Like, he just seemed like he knew what he was doing, kind of. Like, he very had this so. yeah. sort of thing about him that just seemed like he was much more intelligent than the other Jasons yeah. after him. Yeah, just uh, him and the previous one uh, in the second one. Right. Where Jason is more like, I felt like a human character, like right. an actual person. Because we'll get into Kane Hodder and stuff like that, because... Jason really takes a transition into something different. Um, the movie, the code name of the movie, by the way, was named Crystal Japan, which happens to be a David Bowie album. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that, dude. So from here on out, they started naming the the movies after David Bowie albums so that people wouldn't know that these are Friday the 13th movies. Obviously, Stephen Minor was a, a huge David Bowie fan. Right. But, I mean, at the time, I mean, go figure. The third one is, I think, is one of my favorite intros for some reason. You know what I mean? Not just because of the 3D. Okay. Because, like, the, the, the title comes up and then they bust even further out. <laughs> so, like, when you're wearing the 3D glasses, it's pretty cool. Getting up in your in your, in your your personal space. Yeah, get up get in my real. peak. But, yeah, I love this song. Harry Manfredini did uh, for it. It's very synthwave. Uh, actually, I believe he did the name of the song under... Hot Ice huh. is the name of the band that he entitled it. I don't know why he did that. I, I think maybe it was just because it was so out of the box for him. He was like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't I don't know what people are going to think of this. I'll just put under the name Hot Ice. But I thought that was really cool. But this is actually one of the, of the songs. It's a very disco-influenced song. Oh, cool. Um, and he says that he gets hit up about that song more than anything else. Huh. Which is weird, right? Because like, he's done so many fucking... So much music for the Jason uh, Friday the 13th series. It's yeah. insane. Like He's literally the music score father of the fucking franchise. Yeah. So, Jason Hos- Ho- Hockey Mask, that one, uh, which... Yeah, I mentioned earlier. It's, it's 
one of the most iconic pieces of him outside of his uh, physical movement and his machete. Right. And there's a lot of people that actually argue who, who actually came up with the idea. I don't know who did. No, they say, well, everybody says that they were, that it was them that did it. Uh, apparently, Marty Sadoff was the, who was the guy that was like doing the 3D consulting for the Mark's 3D camera. Okay. Is supposedly the one that put the mask on because they brought all these different masks out and they were like, which one should we use? And they're like, you know, and they saw the hockey mask and they're like, wow, that's really good. I like that. Huh. And Sean Cunningham is not a fan of it for some reason. I heard that too. Which is weird because it really is icon- so iconic. Oh, and I- whether it was intentional or not, and it just happened, it was happenstance, it really just made Jason. I know, and there's something we could talk about. We They brought up in uh, Freddy vs. Jason in right. regards to the hockey mask. Like, he's a guy who's like physically deformed in the face. Right, so you they know, covered his face because they didn't want to seem like a monster. Yeah, so he, he he's self-conscious. Right. So him using the mask to cover up his, his deformed face adds some humanity to his character. Well, and uh, by the way, guys, if you're, if you're listening now, Patrick's checking his email. Uh, while we're having a fucking podcast, I was looking at my notes. Okay, all right. I, I, I think he's playing. <laughs> I think he's playing Bejeweled. So it is. It's a big. It's a. It's a big movie in that sense. Yeah. It wasn't a great movie. No, but but, but it is a, a historical point. Yeah, for sure, dude. For sure. So, but there was an alternate ending. It oh, was shit, cut really? because his face was showing. They didn't want to show his face. Part of the reason they wanted him to wear the mask in the first place was because they felt like. It was he was too much of a monster, and they oh, wanted really? him to be more human, like you were saying. I heard a theory that he wears the mask because he's insecure about his physical appearance. <laughs> Dude, I was like looking at you, like what the fuck? You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I, I can totally relate. <laughs> He's like, I have bad acne, and I need to cover it up. Yeah, half of my face is sloped down to the right. <laughs> well, so what are your favorite death scenes of that? Do you have any? Oh, I don't remember. To be honest, like, I did watch it. I don't remember them. Okay. Well, we wa- I thought we watched it together. Well, we did. We did. But you don't remember. Well, uh, explain the film together. Yeah. Plus, we're already really fucking drunk. Yeah. Right. That Voorhees shot fucked Pat and us up pretty good. Yeah. Me more than anybody else. Yeah, I would say. But I do have a couple of scenes, and I took notes on this. But I love the fact in one of my favorite scenes is the head crushing scene, where he crushes a lot of heads. The love interest, that guy, that is his go-to move. Yeah, it's like the opening of the coconut, (laughs) (laughs) or popping of the pimple. Popping of the pimple. That's what it feels like. But there was a head crushing scene where the eye pops out in 3D. Oh, dude, yeah. And I thought that was so fucking cool. Like. (laughs) It's, it's, I don't know. It's really cheesy, but it's still like... It really is cheesy. But, it, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it back then, like, and how it looked versus, yeah. like, HD. Yeah, and if you were a kid getting popcorn, sick your dick through the hole in the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, then another one, there's a, a part where the guy does the handstand and he's, like, walking through the uh, upstairs part. Okay. And then Jason stands over and... Gets slices right in the good and plenty. Yeah, right oh, in the yeah. fucking nuts and bolts. <laughs> and fucking duty, like, it was pretty fucking brutal. Oh, like, yeah. I thought that was well, really brutal, cool. Brutal for any guy. Well, like, what movie can you say that some dude's doing a handstand and gets cut in the crotch like that? I don't know. So the next movie... Goddamn phone. At least your phone isn't going to blow up. Right. Your, your phone isn't going to a la Akbar. <laughs> <laughs> Samsung, Note 7. Allah Akbar. 
Um, so the final chapter was part four. And uh, that came out in 1984. Uh, but part three was supposed to be the last Friday the 13th film. And this happens throughout the whole series. Well, given most of the titles kind of lead to it's the last film. Right. And it's not. It's like they were like, we don't know what to do with it. Let's just end it. But it was supposed, part three was literally supposed to be the last film. But they made a part four because obviously the money was coming in. But they intended to kill him, Jason, off once and for all in the final chapter. And this was like a big deal. Ted White was actually Jason in the movie. He was uh, Jason's stunt double, basically. And he turned it down at first because he didn't actually enjoy working with Corey Feldman, believe it or not. Oh, really? I wonder why. Because <laughs> everybody loves him nowadays. Right? You know, He yeah. went on USA uh, or Today. The Today Show. He's a very good dance moves. He's a very good dancer. Yeah, I've never felt more uncomfortable watching somebody. (laughs) It was like when you feel embarrassed by watching somebody else. Right, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Corey Feldman because I'm not the bully guy, but honestly, I felt like I was watching a midlife crisis. Yeah. He's definitely around a lot of yes men. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. That's what I've... It just feels like it. And, And, you know, bless his heart, you know? But oh, that's what you say when you're like. I mean, I feel bad because I don't want to make fun of the guy, but regardless, Corey Feldman, when he was in part four, this was a big thing for him. This was like the biggest move for him. His whole career was taking off. He started getting movies all the time. In fact, when he was recording this one, he was there was another movie coming out too that he had done what as was well. That? I well, we'll talk about that in a second. But Ted White did not like Corey Feldman. He called him a little brat. And oh, he couldn't stand him. Really? Yeah. Really? He like, and Corey Feldman said he was just a mean guy. But it's interesting, you know what I mean? Because like Corey was like really young, you know right. what I mean? And he was probably just like happy-go-lucky and just happy to be a part of something. Yeah. Uh, Tom Savini got picked back up again, though. He did uh, the special effects for the for the movie, part, part four, the final chapter. He, uh, who was replaced, uh, the original the special effects guy. There was another guy that was going to be involved. But Tom right. Savini took over. But that movie, the movie that we were you were asking about, I'll just go ahead and say because it was Gremlins. Okay. It was, it was the same summer. Both of these movies were coming out in the same time in that summer, and Gremlins was another big one, right? right. Oh, for sure. So I mean, but yeah, that was like two big movies that he was in, Jason and this, and it's like what the fuck. So he his career was like taking off, but his character in the movie was called Tommy Jarvis which plays a big role in the next however many films. Like, I think up up until six, three movies he was basically a character for. Mm. Um, Crispin Glover was in the fourth one. Oh, yeah. Do dude. you remember the, his scene? What was, like, ridiculous? I don't remember. I, I remember him being in it and just, like, tripping balls on how young he was. <laughs> well, yeah, he's really young. I think it was right before he did Back to the Future, too. Oh, wow, really? So it was, like, early on. We had... But he did that dance thing. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? It, it looked exactly like Corey Feldman's moves. Well, he's like... <laughs> I, I That's mean, where I, I learned him. I've seen some movies that he did. He did a movie called What's This? Or What Is That? Or something like that. Feldman? I have it. Or Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover. Okay. He did a film that he wanted to have mentally handicapped people be the starring roles in. And it was like this weird satanic sort of thing on mm. top of it. And it's like, what is this? Is the name of the title. It's really weird. If you guys can find it, it's super fucking weird, guys. But Crispin Glover, everybody on the set thought he was like super weird. 
and very eccentric. Some people got along with him, some didn't. He was just very isolated during the shooting of the movie. But the one guy that he worked with was his Teddy or Ted. They do this scene in the back of the Jeep and they're like talking about how he's a dead fuck. You oh, yeah, that? yeah. And he's like, oh, type it in your computer, Teddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because he like, he's like super self-conscious about being a dead fuck. Uh, and Teddy's like the smoozy, smoozy, like cool guy that's like always trying to get trim or whatever the fuck you want to call it. <laughs> get some help. <laughs> right. Get some uh, some strange. But yeah, I don't know. I, I thought his character was, I don't know if it was like the, the highlight of it, but it was definitely a unique character. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know if I liked it just because of his character or just because I knew who he was. Right. And I know him from his other projects. Right. And honestly, this movie, I didn't like. Like, the third movie was, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. Yeah. But yeah. this movie felt like we're really starting to get to know Jason now. Yeah. And I think Ted White really did a good job of making him more physical. And, you know, of all the people before him, I thought he was doing better. And I would say I like, I mean, I like part one, but if we're going to do the Jason thing, I like two and then four. I probably like four a little bit better just because of Ted White. Do you remember the scene where they're in the the girl like goes out because she's pissed off because her boyfriend's trying to hook up with one of the the Doublemint twins? <laughs> Do you remember that? Pleasure, he like totally dude. fucking blows her off. Right, um, right. He's like, I'm gonna hook up with one of these Doublemint twins, you know? For whatever reason, in the Jason movies or the Friday the Thirteenth series, chicks love to get naked at night, and I don't know why that is. Well, the freaks come out at night because it, because it's <laughs> awesome. Who doesn't want to get naked well, at night? I mean, it's great for film, but like, who the fuck does that, right? I, you don't want to get naked during the day. You see all the imperfections. Well, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that this was a summer camp. They were shooting this or like winter well, in that's thirty-five what you want to see. degrees. You want to see really rock hard nipples. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're rock hard or not. I don't remember that, but. She remember she goes she gets naked she goes out into the raft and she thinks like that her boyfriend's coming out or whatever. Right. Oh, she's yeah, laying yeah, down yeah. and then Jason yeah. comes out of the water, which he's clearly not afraid of water at this point. <laughs> it's so bad. Every time I see one of these girls or guys get naked and jump into the lake, I just keep thinking about what kind of weird parasites are gonna crawl up your hoo ha. <laughs> your hoo ha, hoo ha, hoo ha. Well, Ted White, Jason, uh, apparently when she did the scene, it was so cold. Like she was, they were supposed to stab her. From oh, underneath, yeah. but she was out there for hours. We're talking yeah. like three, four hours, wow. and she was like freezing and shivering. And he was like, "Dude, she's turning blue." And right. Ted White was like, "Look, either you get her out of here and let her warm up, or I'm fucking walking." Oh, damn, dude! Because he felt bad Straight for her, up. which is like you know it's a really stand up thing. But he could have lost his job like very easily, but <laughs> he did the right thing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting that he did that. Apparently, uh, at the end uh, fight scene, do you remember the end fight scene with uh, the chick and Corey Feldman? Corey Feldman, oh, like, starts shaving oh, his head. I, I yeah. actually have a couple of notes yeah, about he, that. Yeah, he, he, oh, go he got kind of crazy and almost turned into his own version of Jason. Right. Right, and yeah. that, that's what I was going to dip into. I mean, okay, so at the end of the movie, Corey Feldman, this is like a Hail Mary pass of, like, all saves, shaves his head. Right. Resemble Jason. To psychologically get into the mind of Jason. Right. And, and for Jason to even fall for this, not having many thoughts in his head to begin with, I mean, <laughs> kill is pretty much the only thing this guy thinks about. Kill, 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 mop, mop, mop. Makes me think that 
this guy could be fucking easily distracted with your fucking car keys. You can literally <laughs> reach in your pocket, pull out your cans, little jingle well, jangle, and run away. They set the pace for that in part two, though, right? Right. Because she pretends like he's she's his mom. Yeah. So this is like Where she puts kind of an homage to that. Yeah. Right. So Corey Feldman shaves his head, comes down, he's like, Jason! And he doesn't look anything like him, by the way. No. Apparently in that scene, though, Corey Feldman was literally scared. Really? In the end fight. Like, he was, like, petrified. I believe it. He's a young kid, first of all. Yeah. And there's this fucking horrifying, like, creature. And, 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 you know, each of the... Most of the fucking Jason actors really stayed away from the cast because they felt like it added to the, the realism. Yeah. So, I can imagine, you know, if Ted White didn't like him, on top of wearing some scary fucking shit, it probably scared the piss out of Corey. There was an alternate ending where Mrs. Jarvis was the mom and the girl, the the daughter, goes up and finds her dead in the in the tub. And that was like a whole thing, but they cut that out. Uh, and that's in the extras. So I don't know if I would have liked that one hmm, so nah. much. But yeah, you know, at the very end, Corey gives her a hug in the hospital and then looks into the camera like he's going to kill somebody. And it's like them alluding to the fact that Tommy Jarvis is now... The next Jason or something, right? Yeah. Well, this came out on uh, April 13th in 1984. It made about $32.9 million at the box office, which is Shit. pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Do you guys have any favorite death scenes in that movie? Do you remember? I don't. I don't either. You know, like I said before, he has a lot of go-tos. He really likes to crush people's heads. Well, that one, yeah. My favorite was the scuba spear gun. Oh, okay. He jabs it into the dude's crotch. Yeah. Picks him up over his head and then fires the fucking spear, which it doesn't really do anything. You right. know? This is a little bit of overkill. But it's just like that extra, like, oh, what the fuck? Dude? <laughs> yeah, it's already in my dick, dude. <laughs> the other thing that was cool was the, 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 what's her name? His sister, whatever Jarvis. She slices his hand, and then he looks at the hand. It's like split in two. Yeah, that was um, actually that really was good. cool. But the best part to me was when Tommy Jarvis slams the machete into his head, into the side of his left temple, and then he oh, is that where he slides? Yeah, down he the falls machete? down on the machete's handle, and then it slides down and cuts his fucking head. Right, and I was like, what the fuck? Like that was amazing. It looked pretty good. Apparently, the MPAA wanted to cut a lot of that stuff, and they cut it so that they could have that scene be, like, the most integral part. Because it was Jason's final fucking... You know, it was the final fucking chapter, right. dude. It was a money shot. Right. So they needed it. But, um, but yeah, I think that one was actually a pretty good uh, movie out of the four. Like, two and four, like, probably my favorite ones. Three was, eh. Yeah. If it wasn't for the mask, I probably wouldn't care about three. Um, but the next one that came up was Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, Ooh. which was part five. Oh, this is the uh, the wayward teens? Yes. Okay. This is the one that really does piss, it kind of pisses people off like Halloween 3 did for Michael uh, Myers. Oh, yeah. They I... called it Codename Repetition, by the way, which is another David Bowie huh. album. I want to say something about this real quick. I kind of, I, I liked Five just for the simple fact I think they were trying to allude that there is a little piece of Jason in all of us. I guess. 
It's very loose, though. Right. People had grown to love Jason, and they killed him off. Yeah. And whether they liked that or not, it was just a thing. People just really liked Jason. Yeah. There was just all these happenstance issues that happened to build it to make Jason so cool. And I think the fourth one did really well for that. But the fifth one came out, and it was just like this bastard child. And, you know, by the way, if you guys haven't seen this, this is a spoiler cast at this point. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't realized it already, but this is for the fucking Friday the 13th fans, and we hope we are doing you guys justice. But Frank Mancuso was the executive producer again. Oh, yeah. He, again, he's like pretty much followed the whole series. There was a new director by the name of Danny Steinman. Um, He was a director for some infamous sexploitation films. One of them called like High Rise in like 78 or something like that. But these were like kind of shitty fucking sexploitation films. One of them was like a dude having a boner. And the, like they talk about it in depth in this movie. It's pretty ridiculous. But the movie has a lot of nude shots. And Danny, the director, was super fucking lewd. He'd be like, go ahead, grab her. Grab her by the pussy. Fuck her. Yeah, yeah grab her tits. Like, grab her pussy. And like it was like turning people off. Oh. Because, but he was used to it, right? Because he was doing sexploitation films. Yeah. One positive about Five, though, I will say probably one of the most killer racks was in Five. Think? Which I do think it was the one where the the two people they sneak out from the the hospital. Oh, they go to fuck on the farm. And they, they fuck in the forest. Yeah. And the guy takes off to go take a bath in the lake or whatever. Which I don't know which why you so would want. Yeah. yeah why and he does wanna... it like literally a minute after they start. Right. Maybe <laughs> I'm being biased about this kill because she did have a killer rack. Maybe that's why I like it so much. But uh, Jason sneaks up to her while she's sleeping and. Shoves a pair of hedge clippers into, into her, her eyes. eyes. Yeah, that's yeah, one of my favorite dude. scenes, actually, because it's just dark. It is very dark. Because you, it not only do the the hedge clippers go into her eyes, but then you see them slowly close it till it pops. Right. So you can hear the bone on her her nose pop. Ugh. So it like cuts her. But yeah, apparently that chick was um, not supposed to be in the movie first. There was another chick that was supposed to. To play the role, but she didn't have big enough boobs. Yeah, that's oh, really? what I was gonna say. They probably yeah. didn't have enough killer rag like she did. Yeah, she and so even lame, that dude. girl was like, "Yeah, she had really big boobs." <laughs> but the story up. essentially revolves around Tommy again. Tommy Jarvis. He's this troubled teen. He's had a hard life. He's apparently grown fifteen years apparently in like the matter of a year. <laughs> Isn't that funny how they do that in the Jason series? It's yeah, like, you guys should be way out of this, the, the fucking eighties by and now. The, like timeline is really right. bad in the series, but yeah, he's like older now and he's like a bad kid. Oh yeah, and he goes to the fucking camp he's to like, like get his emotions adjusted, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, they go there and uh, there's that one kind of like mentally challenged kid who's like eating chocolate bars and trying to help everybody. <laughs> right, and yeah, he's just it, fucking everything up. Right, and then it, like that fucking like guys chopping wood the worst way possible. By the way, right, you never chop a log on the side of it, okay? <laughs> Unless you're chopping a tree down initially, that makes sense, right? Yeah. If you've got a fucking log, you chop it on top down the fucking root. You know what I mean? But he's like chopping away, and he fucking kills that kid like immediately. Um, right, right off the bat, and you're like, whoa, what the fuck is just happening? <laughs> yeah, so it was a different actor than Corey Feldman this time. Yeah, somebody who, uh, he didn't really look like him. 
I didn't. I don't even think. I didn't. I mean, I hate to be mean. I'm not trying to sound mean, but I just didn't like his character. Yeah. Like I don't think he played him well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I kind of I agree with. Like that. I'm trying to be positive about it and try to find some good things out of it, but I mean, I just don't think he did a good job. I mean, it was a shit story. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah. It was a who done it again. They wanted to try to do the who done it, but anyway. He uh, apparently Corey Feldman had exploded in the movies. Um, <laughs> exploded in the movies. No, he really did. He exploded like as a as a, a actor, and he couldn't shoot the entire story that oh. they wanted for him. So they did like they spent literally an hour and a half doing his beginning of the movie, where he's like raining and he sees people trying to dig oh, up for part Jason six, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, but Corey Feldman was actually, he got picked up for Goonies. And he seems like he was upset about it. Like, he was like, God damn, Sp- Steven Spielberg fucked everything up. <laughs> it's like he wanted to be a part of Five. Like, no, you really dodged a bullet there, dude. <laughs> right. Like, obviously we see where his bad choices started. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, and we're in a position to see where they ended. <laughs> oh, man. But I don't want to get too much into it, but, you know, if you guys have seen the movie, then you know pretty much that the kid that dies in the beginning, the mentally challenged kid, his father, he didn't know who his father was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he basically is the killer. I wanted to get into that because you know what it reminded me of? It, it, It really reminded me, like, when you finally see the big reveal at the end and who Jason is... It was like a really bad episode of right. Scooby Doo. <laughs> it was like, oh, it was old Farmer John trying to steal the D. Well, nobody thought it was going to be the the that guy, right? Because there was that his partner who was the medical guy, and he was like, ah, oh, they're a bunch of pussies. But, but you know what I'm talking about. Even when they show you the reveal, it looked like a cheap plastic mask that got ripped off, and it it was a normal guy underneath. <laughs> um. Yeah, and that's one of the cool death scenes that Tommy cuts off Jason's hand and he falls onto the spikes and his mask comes off and you see that it's the guy from the fucking ambulance. Right. Which, it was kind of a cool scene. It wasn't really great, but uh, just to kind of end this, because this movie sucks, I don't want to get into it too much, but um, March 22nd, 1985, uh, they made $8 million opening weekend at the box office. Oh, wow. Just the weekend. That's good cash, man. They made enough, you know, for a movie that was supposed to be dead. But apparently Danny Steinman, the director, he passed away in 2012. This movie kind of reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Where the the main character is kind of tormented by the killer. Right. And at the end, he kind of becomes the killer. Right. Well, the end scene is him putting on the mask and killing her. But we don't know if it's a dream sequence or whatever. Well, he just ha- he just came out of a dream sequence right before she came in. So right. were they really going to follow dream sequence by a dream sequence? Right. I don't know. Well, in part five, they completely disregard that part. You're right. Apparently, the actor that played Tommy wrote the script for the ending of part five. Oh, really? What? Yes. Dude, dude. He was like, apparently, Danny Steinman, the director, was like, hey, you know, uh... This is really great, but you're talking and you never talk throughout the entire movie. Uh, He's like, you say more in these five minute in these three minutes than you said in an entire movie. He's like, so we're just not going to make you talk and we're going to make you turn into Jason because that's cool. 
Yeah. Anyway, they blew that off. They were like, fuck that. That doesn't even belong in the series. So in part six, Jason lives Friday the 13th, part six, codename Aladdin Sane, which is another David Bowie song or album, um, came out and Tom McLaughlin was the director. He made um, the movie One Dark Night. Have you guys seen that? No. It's pretty crazy. It's hard to get, actually. Oh, wow. Just to get it on DVD, I think it's like 30 bucks. What year was that? Uh, I don't know what the year was. But he used to do... He did some mime movies and shit. Mime? Like mime? Yeah, like Like... French mime. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, fuck him. I don't know. (laughs) Well, he brought a lot of the characters from his mime movie, I guess, into this movie. Oh. But part six, um, Jason was played by Dan Bradley... But he was replaced immediately with a guy named C.J. Graham. Okay. And C.J., to be honest with you, before Kane Hodder was in the picture, I feel like he was the best Jason that the series had ever seen. I will totally agree with you. Like, seriously, I think he was really good. So, C.J. Graham, if you're listening, dude, you did an amazing job. Um, He was the best at that point. Right. Tommy Jarvis was actually played by the guy who was in Return of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead 2. Huh. Uh, you remember Tom Matthews? Yeah. He was the guy that was like, they were like, watch your mouth if you don't, if you like this job. And he was like, like this job? He was like the young <laughs> punk kid with the fucking Japanese shirt on. I love those movies because like in each one of those Return of the Living Dead, there's always a can of zombies somewhere and somebody opens them up. Right. <laughs> it releases terror. Do you I, I like Tom Matthews. I thought he was a good actor. He didn't really have a long career, I don't think. I thought he was a really cool character in this. I thought he played Tommy Jarvis really well. Um this is the movie that they remember when Wes Keltner was telling us about how oh, yeah. one of the maps was called Forest Green. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is the movie where they changed the name of Crystal Lake because of the stain that Jason left on it. Okay. And I really like this movie, by the way. It has to be one of my favorite Friday the thirteenth. I agree. It was very, uh, it it played with that line between very cheesy and horror very well. Right. It was very trauma-esque. I, I really enjoyed it. And the freaking opening scene where they, uh, it was kind of like a uh, a nod to 007. Oh, yeah, he does the slash. Right. Like he turns he into out. the lights. Oh, yeah. yeah. That yeah, was pretty yeah. cool. Well, that's when, that, you know, that's when you knew that it was going to be a fun movie. Right. You know what I mean? Like, don't take this too seriously. And he and Jason was like a fucking Spartan. He was getting double, triple kills. Dude, it was he the did... biggest Jason yet. Right. He was like fucking crazy in this one. He took a beating in this movie. This is like the first movie where he was actually getting fucked up. Huh. Like, people fought back against him. Yeah. Well, some people didn't fight back in the right way. You remember one of the, I think it was one of the first scenes where the guy and his girlfriend are driving in their little VW bug. And they run across Jason, and you remember that scene? No. Yeah, he just, he oh just, yeah, the the bit part. That just, dude's from Ghost. Oh yeah, he's the yeah. guy that gets cut by the glass, yeah, right? And, and the, the director's wife out. is the chick in the car. Oh really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. But I just thought it was hilarious that big shit brick house of a man standing in front of your car, and you're gonna reach in your glove box and grab the smallest pistol. I would think a gun would could get somebody out of there. But she was like, I've seen enough horror movies to know that this is not good when there's some dude with a mask standing in front of me. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, get the fuck out of there. 
Vincent Gustafero. Gustafero? He was in the movie Shocker. Remember I mentioned this earlier? Yeah. He was the guy that was that got the heart attack after uh, Pinkerton got into him. Yeah. He was one of the, like, Pinkerton deputies. Pinkerton got into him. He was a deputy in this that movie. That sounded kind of dirty. Is that like Pinkerton's the guy in the Two of the shocker. pink, one of the stink kind of thing? Oh, my God. <laughs> Two of the pinker and Derailed. one of the <laughs> But, yeah, uh, I like Vincent Gustafaro. I think he did a really good job in Shocker, and I think he did a good job in this movie. Cool, cool. He plays kind of the douchey deputy, you know? I don't know. I like him. There's that part we were talking about that we did the red we dot did, shot. Yeah, the red dot shot. Um, where he's like, where the red dot goes, bang, bang. you're dead. And then that turns on him because he locks up Tommy. And the daughter of the sheriff like grabs the deputy's gun and points it at his face. And he's like, stop clowning around. And she's like, I'm not the one with the funny red nose. And she's got the like laser dot on his nose. So lame. Ah, uh, dad jokes. But it's it's really bad. Uh, I'm pretty sure that this is the movie that they based the 1989 um, uh, Nintendo game off of, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Because they had kids in this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the game, they had the kids, too. Like, you had to go to the different cabins to save the kids. Yeah. I think you're right. I really have a feeling that this was what that game was based off of. It was the only movie where there was kids in it, believe it or not. Like, a bunch of group of kids. Which is funny, because they're all at summer camp. Oh, I know. Like, where are the kids? Uh, it's like all teenagers before the kids get there, right? Yeah, yeah. There was one funny part where the kids are hiding under the bed, though. Oh, yeah, I remember. And he's like, so what did you want to be when you grow up? So what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, as if they were going to die. You <laughs> right. know, they were like, yeah, we're dead. <laughs> it's <laughs> over. Fuck it. It is pretty funny. Like, I don't know. Uh, apparently Don Burns was the producer and he was known for being a penny pincher and he would like try to like cut scenes for short because he knew that if he finished it by deadline and didn't spend enough money, he would get more money in the end as a producer. Oh, I've heard that. So a lot of people did not like him because of that, because they, they were making the movie shitty in a way. Yeah. Even though the movie's great and it's one of my favorite in the series, there was a, there was a part, do you remember where the... The RV flips. Yeah. Yeah. Jason's in the RV, he get, and he kills the chick in the bathroom. Right. And he goes up to the guy driving the, the vehicle. Yes. Kills him, and it fucking flips and slides on the, on the side. side. And yeah. then Jason stands on the top, like, yeah, all stoic. Yeah, he buzzed out through, like, the door, and he kind of comes right. out. Funny, but uh, that scene that we were talking about where she shoves the girl's face through the, the what was it, the... Oh, the, the wall of the RV. Right. They shot that underwater. Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. Oh, wow. The part where Jason's standing on top, though, and they flipped it, apparently the swamp cooler that's attached to the RV was like a $5,000 swamp cooler. (laughs) And so the producer, Don Barron's, was like, I want that. And somebody caught wind that he wanted that swamp cooler. So before they did the scene where it flipped over on its side, they loosened it so that it would get destroyed. (laughs) And so when... When it flipped over, everybody was cheering because the fucking thing got destroyed. And he was like, oh, that was a waste of money. Oh, dude, I, I remember. You know what? Honestly, I did not know that about the shot. Right. But I remember when it flipped over on the side, this big black unit that was an AC unit or right. something flew off and slid by the vehicle. Yeah, it just it was... like tore up into like a million pieces. Yeah, yeah. So I remember, I remember physically seeing it. Yeah. That was the unit that he wanted to keep. 
He was like trying to make money off of it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, um, I don't know. It's just weird to me. I'm going to not make a comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best uh, not. Apparently the ending, there was an ending, an alternate ending that were, uh, you were going to meet Jason's father. Oh, wow. And they didn't end up keeping it. Satan? <laughs> well, I have... guess later on, right? Was there any kind of actor cast for it? Do I don't know? know. They didn't really get into the specifics of that. I can't remember his specific, but I thought that was kind of interesting because you never really think about Jason's father. No, you're right. right you're right, because it's all about his mom. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which is, she's hot. Yeah, <laughs> for like an 80-year-old woman. Yeah, if I had, if I had fucked one cougar this year. <laughs> well, she wasn't 80 in the movie. Yeah. But I think she's like 80-something now. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'd I like, like dr- to peel back that grilled cheese. <laughs> yeah, I like I like mm. dried clams. That's horrible. <laughs> no, but Alice, this is the remember I was mentioning Alice Cooper. You were talking about Alice Cooper. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Alice Cooper did like three songs in it, and he did one take behind the man behind the mask, which I to be honest, like I like Alice Cooper and all. But I felt like that song was kind of shit. <laughs> was this just like a one-off for the actual movie? Well, he did three different versions. They did like a metal version. They did like a rock version. And then they did like a synth version. Okay. And they kept the synth version. So he did like three different three different songs for that. And he actually had three different songs in the whole movie. Okay. So, but I don't know. Do you guys remember any of the death scenes in there? You said the one about the girl sticking her face. Right. That, that was, was probably cool. one of my favorite, and, and we totally went past one of my favorite death scenes from Five. Killer Rack gets killed. Okay, her boyfriend that she was with. You remember he, he he leans up against a tree, and Jason, or it wasn't Jason, but throws that leather strap over his eyes oh, and yeah. continues to turn it around the tree. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, and he ended up like keeps turning it till the pressure just crushes his skull. Huh. I, I don't, don't know why, but I really one. liked it. My favorite was where Jason punches Tommy's friend's heart out, and then they... Is that the one where he does it from behind and then cracks his neck at the same time? No, he punches his friend in the chest. This is when they they first, the beginning of the movie. Then there's another scene where Jason uh, folds the sheriff in half. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah, He just crushes his back. I think that's one of my my favorites. But this movie came out August 1st, 1986. It made $19.5 million at the box office. Less than part five, by the way. Um, aliens actually beat Jason at the box office for number one spot. Well, that makes sense. I it, mean, yeah, it really does. Yeah, no, that no, was a big movie too. Yeah, no, no offense to Nightmare. Oh, excuse me, Nightmare's Father. Uh, <laughs> no offense to Friday Thirteenth, but James Cameron is James Cameron. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The next movie was uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven: The New Blood, nineteen eighty-eight. This one came out, and that was the first appearance of Kane Hodder. Yes. Which was, he just brought new life to the character. Oh, 100%. It was originally, I don't know if this is, I believe, oh yeah, the original title for the movie was called Friday the 13th Part 7, Jason's Destroyer. It was uh, a horrible name. Yeah. But there was a lot of people that called it Frygay, the uh, 13th. Really? Yeah. What? what? Because the main love interest, the guy that was in love with the psychic girl, yeah. was gay. And they nobody ever believed that they're love interest in each other. Huh. Because it just felt off. I don't think it was that bad. But a lot of people call it Friday the 13th, <laughs> the new blood. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, John Carl Buechler uh, directed this one. He had done a lot of uh, special effects for Halloween. He did Bride of the Reanimator, Nightmare on Elm Street, 
Like, he'd done a lot of special effects for those. So this was, like, his director's That was chair. probably the last good Reanimator movie. Because beyond Reanimator, for any Reanimator fans out there... Oh, well, that was later. Don't watch it. But that's fine. Kane Hodder, as you said, was his first appearance. Um, I personally feel like... I do believe Kane Hodder was the best. Um, I really like the one from Six, though. Oh, no, and there's nothing against that guy. Oh, I know. But I'm just saying, Kane Hodder is the best. Yeah, I will say that. I wouldn't put, argue with him about that He put life into either. Jason like nobody else. His whole breathing thing, where he's standing there, like seething with anger, right. is like something that just added to Jason's character. Yeah. Who doesn't speak. He just brought it to it, man. Yeah, mm. I always thought like um, all the Jasons prior to him, uh, I felt like their their portrayal of Jason was very... They, they had humanity to the character. Right. It, it felt like a, a person, how they acted, how they moved, how they ran... But Kane brought this like uh, it stopped being a human and started being a force of nature. Right. You know, mm. it, very much like a. Well, that's what they call him or Jason in in particular. Oh yeah, it, and it started to remind me of like uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's portrayal of the Terminator. Right. Because uh, you know Arnie knew he was portraying a robot or a cyborg. Okay. So he operated his you know acting around that, but Kane operated like a supernatural being. Right. And that's what I dug on it. No, I, I mean, I really like him. Um, I mean, essentially what the story is, is Tina, who's the, she's like a young girl. Her dad's like beating her mom and she runs away from her parents because she's mad at her dad. She gets on the boat in the middle of Crystal Lake. Her dad comes out to be like, what the fuck? Oh yeah. And she's like, get away from me. I don't love you. I wish you were dead. And then like the whole pier breaks and then he dies. So she's living with this guilt and you fast forward into the future and she's getting therapy, like special treatment with her mom and this doctor. But how unbelievable was that, though? Somebody with psychic abilities and she's allowed to walk around freely. Well, I like, know she's like at least 15 some... people that have psychic abilities. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, of course it's not real, but right. it's still cool. Onwards. She, uh, but basically the doctor's like trying to help her get over her daddy's guilt because she killed her dad, essentially. But there's like a cabin next door to that house. They're having a party for their friend whose his birthday or something like that. And her love interest, it's her cousin. Uh, but they get killed on the way there, et cousin cetera, et cetera. Loving. What? You say something about cousin loving? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the end, basically she finds out she has powers that are triggered by her emotions and she can control Jason. She like grabs him with like some tree branches and shit and like drags him in the mud and then like shocks him to death or whatever. But, but then he gets back up, you know, kind of like a, a precursor to, uh, uh, one of the other movies he was in. Well, I the did. sixth one, he got shocked by electricity. Oh, no, I mean, if she's grabbing it with tree branches, what was the one where he had, was that Jason goes to hell where the, the trees pulled him to hell? The roots? Oh, at the very end. Yeah. 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 No, it's similar to that. But I mean, I thought it was kind of cool. I like the fact that she was a psychic. Like, it's cheesy. You know, it's it's different. Apparently, this movie got cut to shit by the MPAA. Oh, dude. Like, it has a lot of the cutscenes in the extras. Their, like, work print. Apparently, Paramount destroyed all of the film because mm. the MPAA was against it. So we will literally never, ever see a director's cut or uncut version of that movie ever. Other than the work print material that is like the shittiest quality ever. Oh man. 
So, I hate it, it when they do that to films, dude. It fucking sucks. But what are you going to do? One cool thing at the very end I remember was the big house. They had the house. They built this house. And they just fucking exploded. Like, it's one of the biggest explosions <laughs> of a house I've ever seen. Like, I don't even know what else to compare it to. But apparently there was, like, cameras and film that was destroyed because of it. Holy shit. Oh, wow. Because they didn't expect it to go all up at once. It was supposed to be, like, several like explosions. Like, timed explosions, yeah. Yeah, and one of the actors, the mom of the Tina girl, went inside and she's like, what are all these wires and things? She's like, oh, they're gonna blow it up. And she's like, come get in the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tina thinks of her dad that she killed. He grabs Jason out of the water and drags him down and kills Jason. Huh. Which is kind of lame. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to think what to think about that, but yeah. Some of the cool death scenes, do you did you see did you watch it? I did. Yeah, I think one of my favorite death scenes was the sleeping bag scene where he takes a girl in the sleeping bag and just bashes the living I'd fuck out of her against the tree. Yeah, that's, all, that's always one of the coolest scenes. And he did it in the other movies that's fucking so badass. Well, and the fucked up thing is, is that scene was supposed to be him bashing the fucking girl against a tree like seven to ten times. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they did it one time because the MPAA was like, this is too graphic. The MPAA can suck it. I Just know, dude. It. Like, and, and, and to give you little guys a little bit of a background story on this, and I remember going to a convention, and this isn't in any documentaries or anything, so you're getting this live. Live. But I heard Kay and Hodder talk about that scene. Apparently there was, like, it was super heavy, the bag, the, the, the sleeping bag. They had, like, 20 gallons of fucking blood, fake blood in there. So you can imagine how heavy that is. But Kay and Hodder's a big motherfucker, right? Yeah, he is. So he was pissed off about the scene. I don't remember why. I think it was because it was cold. He couldn't grab onto the bag very well. So he just started slamming it against the tree as hard as he could out of anger, like pissed off. And it turned out to be a gold, but they had to cut it. So they just show her hitting the tree once and throwing it on the ground because they thought it was too much. They just too much, Damn too much you. graphic, but all the blood is like sloshing out of it or whatever. Mm. So it, it sucks that that happened. The only other thing that I can think of is that they have the party blower where they stick it in the girl's eye. Oh, yeah. And it makes that honking noise. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. Um, but this movie came out on May 13th, 1988. It made $19.2 million at the box office. Apparently, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, came out at this time. And it blew fucking Jason out of the water. Like, it blew Friday the <laughs> It was like they it, Dream Master made forty nine point one million. Wow! So it was a very humbling day for the Friday the Thirteenth franchise at that point in time. I would say so. Um, moving along, after the, this was after the seventh one, the eighth series came out, and this is where Jason goes to Manhattan. Did you guys? Do you remember this one? Oh yeah, I remember they spent a. The, the the majority of the film, like, what is he, like, 60, 70% of the film or whatever? Yeah. Is actually on a boat. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, 70%. 70%. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it opens with a lot of New York stuff. Majority of the film was on a boat, and then they finally get to New York. When they get to New York, it's one giant cliche of what New York is. Right. You know, people doing drugs in the streets, people getting mugged, a lot of garbage and, and rotted, infested streets. Three-fourths of the movie really was on a boat. And it was because of budgetary restraints. Yeah. They couldn't afford to do everything in New York. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I didn't mind it. I mean, it's it's one of the more cheesier ones. But 
I do like the kind of claustrophobic nature of having this kind of like spook house kind of thing. Oh, on that the boat. he's on the boat, yeah. yeah. But well, they gonna... didn't even know. They oh. were just getting picked off one at a time. Yeah. But uh, what I was going to say is, like, from what I read, if I'm correct, didn't it have a budget of around $5 million? And it shot for close, and it only grossed like around fifteen. Yeah, it was five million budget. It was such a, a loss at the box office. This is what made Paramount, you know, sell it up to the highest bidder. Right. And this is how New Line picked it up. Right. No. Yeah. This this movie in particular was kind of the end of Paramount's touching it anymore. They were like, "Fuck it." Well, plus it had like the dumbest ending. It kind of did. Well, it like okay, so it's Jason getting like. Uh, disintegrated in this like toxic waste, Wh- which is fine, but then he winds up turning into a kid. Right. Yeah, that always weirded me out. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. Toxic waste turns people into little kids. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So Freddy Krueger better sign up. <laughs> <laughs> there was some, but well, then he know, just touch himself. In all, all fairness, though, even though the movie wasn't like one of my favorites in the series, it's in there. It's not like in the top five. I would yeah. say. Okay. Um, there was some of the most creative deaths in this. It wasn't really like a gore movie because they cut a lot of the shit out of this one too just to shoot through some of these um first of all the movie was directed by rob hedden kane hotter came back jamie brown did the special effects in this movie uh and actually i think he did a really good job um this is the one where jason's like gooey as fuck oh he has he was always wet he has all the moss and shit on it yeah he's got like they put like just all this like green fucking slime on him all the time. When they shot, there was like one of the first scenes when the beginning they shot a spear gun at this girl. They oh, yeah. literally shot it right by her head. And they oh, and, wow. and he missed. Yeah, well he missed on purpose. But they were like, "Don't move your head. This could actually kill you." <laughs> and she was like, "What?" And they were like, "Kink." <laughs> oh, the magical eighties, right? Like they wouldn't get away with that shit nowadays. No. Um, there was a gag scene in the movie. After he kills that girl, apparently Kane Hodder showed up with a strap on. <laughs> like, like wearing it? Yeah, he was wearing Like there's this scene where he opens up the fucking hull or the front of the boat where the fucking chain goes for the fucking uh, anchor. And she was hiding in it to get yeah. away from him. Well, he showed up and opened it up with this fucking boner. <laughs> so it was like all white, you know what I mean? Like, and there's like in the gag reel, you can actually see this. <laughs> uh, but basically the story revolves around a uh, Crystal Lake, the heist, the last class that's graduating from the school. And they're going on this cruise to go to fucking New York on a boat. He kills everybody. Jason keeps popping up. There's like weird scenes that remind me of like Poltergeist 3. A oh. lot. Like, Jason is this dead kid that keeps, like, haunting the main girl. And she's, like, the goody two-shoes. But she got pushed into the water when she was younger by her uncle, who is now the dean of the school. And he pushed her in the water and says, oh, there's Jason down there. He'll probably kill you if you fall in. And he pushes her in to teach her how to swim. Oh, yeah. And she real. almost drowns and sees Jason down there. So she keeps having these like, echoes of seeing Jason. Like, help me, save me, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you know how Jason, like, on the right side of his face, he always has the sloop, you know, sloped face on the right, right? Right. Well, in right. the movie, the little kid has it on the left-hand side. So I don't know if he's like a reflection on the other side, and that's why they did it that way. But apparently, the end scene that you were talking about, where the kid 
he turns into a kid or whatever. Yeah. He was supposed to be in the mouth of Jason where he's spitting up water. And there was like a scene where the kid's like, help me. And he's reaching out of this gigantic head. Oh, what? but they cut that out because it made it look like shit. It's still a really interesting idea, though. I mean, they, they did go pretty crazy. Jason pretty much got pretty wild in this. He just like slammed through doors, like through glass. Um, but a big part about this movie, as you guys know, Freddy versus Jason, Kane Hodder did not get to play it. And we'll get into that more. But and there's a scene in this movie where this guy named Ken filled in for getting hit by a car. Oh, yeah. And Kane was, like, adamantly a bit against it. No, wasn't he also the guy inside the diner? Yeah, he was also the guy who got thrown in the mirror. Yeah. In the, in the diner. When they first get to the fucking place. But that plays a part later on. But, um... Some of my favorite death scenes in this one, there was a sauna room one where Jason grabs a hot coal oh, that was and fa- shoves that it was into the dude's dude. sides. Yeah. That was cool. I don't know why it caught fire, but it's still cool. Like, I don't care. No question. There's a girl that gets hit in the head with a fucking guitar and killed. Oh, yeah. She she had to go below decks to practice her metal or whatever. Right, yeah. And she's like, this is like the perfect place for a music video. Huh. The dude who's the father, the uncle of the girl, the main girl who, like, pushed her in the water, he gets dunked in a, like, barrel of, like, disgusting water and drowned. Oh, yeah. Uh, just some weird deaths. Um, my favorite scene, and I think everybody else's, is probably where the boxer... There's a box... There's a couple of boxers on this on the boat, but you don't see them all die. Apparently, there's other people that die and, and that they cut out. But there's this black kid who's, like, a boxer... And he's like fighting Jason on the top of the roof and he's just punching him in the face. Apparently, he really hit Kane Hodder. Kane was like, he was like, hey man, he's like, is it or not Kane, but the 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 kid. He was like, Can I can I actually hit you? And he was like, give me your best shot, man. And so he just like was pummeling, punching him in the stomach and the face and everything like that. And it, you know, and at the very end, he's like tired and worn out, and he's like Give me your best shot, motherfucker. And then Jason just punches his head off. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. That's one of my favorite scenes. But that was like July 28, 1989 that came out. It had a budget, like you said, Mike, $5 million, Yeah. And it made 14.3 at the box office. So, not a lot. Especially uh, since the first one made like close to 60, I think. That's pretty crazy, right? All right, next up, we have Jason Goes to Hell. And this is where New Line Cinema had already picked up the franchise, like you had mentioned, Mike. Yeah, for, for sure. They were the ones that owned the name Jason and the story of Jason, but they didn't own the name Friday the 13th. Yeah. Which was a good thing. Well, it, it actually, I think it kind of worked out because uh, they, they took it in a different direction. I mean, because for the oh, most part, time. yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Friday the 13th, but it's it's been the same film over and over and over again. There's a little bit of, yeah, a lot of rep- repetition. Yeah. This was the first time they, they got a first-time director, first-time writer. Right. And they took the film in a direction that it had never been taken before. His name was Adam Marcus. Okay. He was, like, really young. Like, 26, I think. He was, like, super young. A lot of people didn't have faith in him at all. Some of the movie didn't do too well. A lot of people got upset about this one. I personally like it. You know, I, it I was liked, pretty good. I liked it that it took a, a different direction. It gave uh, a new, like, dimension to the mythos. Right. And it had uh, a lot of gore. Well, and this is the one that Sean Cunningham 
came back and like had some creative control. Yeah. So he was the, if you guys aren't sure, Sean Cunningham was the one that started Friday the 13th. Yeah. And this, they gave him creative control as a producer. And so he had a lot of choices to what was going to happen. And one of the things that he really wanted to do is bring back the family element to Jason. No, it wasn't called Friday the 13th anymore, but he was, uh, he got this Adam Marcus guy to be the director and this guy was, you know, he was pretty... Uh, I, I really actually liked this movie. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it's around the time that I was, like, really paying attention, maybe. Well, yeah, same thing with me. Like, uh, I think I saw this one in theaters. Right. I don't I think I did, too. Yeah. I think I remember begging... Or I don't remember how old I was. If this came out in... I think I could still... I think my parents would buy me tickets to go to these things. But this has one of the craziest death scenes that they consider in the entire franchise. Oh, I know. It's fucking bloody. I think it's awesome. He should have finished. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're not sure why Mike's talking about finishing, it's there's a sex scene in a tent and this girl, and the the really cool, interesting story about this. I'll just make it short, but essentially the girl's riding the guy. Jason sticks a pole into her back while she's riding him. (laughs) <laughs> and rips upwards through her neck so that her body splits in half vertically. But the the interesting thing is is that these two actors that played this role had actually previously dated. And they had just broken up right before they did this. At the least scene. they know what each other likes, you know what I mean? You I know? don't know if it's like that hard. It's almost like like hate fucking. <laughs> you know when better, you're mad at dude. somebody and you're just like fucking. It's still sex. <laughs> so you're like, whatever. But I guess she ended up starring in a Queer's Folk. Oh, yeah. She was in that, I believe. But um, but that scene is probably one of the most talked about scenes in the movie. And the reason why is because there's um, a, scene, a part where he's like, I don't want to use a condom. I hate these things. And then she's like, whatever. And she throws it outside. And then you see Jason step on her on the condom. And apparently everybody just cheered at that part. And and some of the reviewers of the movie were like, finally, a morally correct movie. Uh. <laughs> you know, about sex. Because all of the Jason movies have been pretty much misogynistic a little bit, you know. Well, they've all been the same thing. It just hasn't been out on the nose. Right. I mean... <clears throat> it's mostly chicks getting naked, though. I mean, there have been movies where they didn't. Or guys got naked, too, but... Oh, no, but what I'm saying is, like... You know, if, if you have an earlier scene from an earlier film where a couple's like drinking and having sex, right? People flip out. But if you show Jason step on a condom because a couple doesn't want to use it, people all of a sudden like cheer, right? You know, I don't know. For me, it's the same thing. It's just one's more on the nose. But what we did see, learn about the director though is he did want to do a lot of different things. Like he wanted to have a lot of naked guys. Right. I don't mean that he's like into naked guys. No, he just wanted to be the director that actually brought that forward. Yeah, you know, equalize it. Yeah. Cuz it, it you know, Friday the 13th series has had a pretty pretty uh naked female cast. Yeah. It's mostly about chicks getting banged. And then everybody dying, of yeah. course. <laughs> sometimes with a dick, sometimes with a hammer. There's a uh, <laughs> there's a, a homoerotic shaving scene. Where um, Adam, the director, wanted to put more naked men, like you said, but is because like the stigma that they'd had. But there was a scene where this like middle-aged fucking deputy or whatever is like getting shaved for some reason, and he said, 
It's so weird. Like, why does Jason start shaving a dude? It makes it makes no sense. It has. I, I don't get offended as a guy. I don't think he's even old a, enough to even know how to shave. It's not. I don't even see why it's homoerotic. I mean, I don't even think so either. Well, it, just because it's well, one, except for the end, he kisses him at the end. Well, he doesn't. He's he not kissing him. Puts the slug in his mouth. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> he puts the slug the dick in his mouth. You got it. <laughs> inch by inch, like a gentleman. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he throat fucks him, but I mean, it's like it's not homoerotic. <laughs> But no, why is Jason... Jason doesn't shave people. Like, I don't know. Like, that kind of bothers me in some weird way, but, like, whatever. He's a he's a director, and it's cool. I still like the movie. This but is it a, is weird. Yeah. Apparently, there was a uh, claymation ending where they actually shot, like, stop motion. Oh, they actually shot it? Yeah. Oh, wow. But they, they even made, like, all the miniature figures and stuff where Jason dies and everything. But this movie in particular, if you guys haven't seen it, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't... Essentially, Jason gets blown to fuck in the beginning of the movie, saying Jason's dead. A medical examiner or whatever is fucking doing a fucking autopsy and starts chewing on the heart of Jason and then becomes Jason. And then everybody that Jason kills, he squirts a, lo- a slug in their mouth <laughs> and they turn into a fucking uh, homophobe. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, they turn into Jason, and it's kind of ridiculous. But it's kind of cool, because it's very, like, physical. I don't know. It, oh it's, God. like, the closest that I think Jason got to being, like, Freddy, in a way. Oh, you're right. For sure. I never thought about that, but you're right, because it's, uh, uh he was very, uh, Jason's always, uh, Jason's always been very one-note. Right. He has a one thing he does, and that's all he does. Whereas Freddy has this, like, bag of tricks he can always, like, right. pull to. But, yeah, this was the first film where Jason stepped out of that you know that line and started doing something different well there's that part where like one of the people that like the newscaster guy tries to spit the slug and then they chop his neck open and then this demon crawls out of his neck and then gets into the basement and crawls into that girl's vagina oh yeah and wasn't that actress who they didn't add that scene to the very last second right right? yeah she she was was, appalled by it she didn't even see it until she saw it in the theater yeah and she was like, I can't believe you did that. And Sean was like, I'm sorry. And she, <laughs> Sean Cunningham, and she was like, I've, I've since forgiven him. But yeah, she was like appalled by it. Basically, at the very end, Freddy's hand comes up and grabs Jason's mask after Jason gets sucked into the ground. And that's like, oh, and before that, when they go to the Voorhees house, they find the Necronomicon. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Literally the same Necronomicon that was the in Evil Dead 2. same prop, yes indeed. Or, yeah, it was Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. It was the exact same one. And this is where everybody was like, okay, I don't think anybody thought anything about the Necronomicon book. They may have. I didn't even know it was in there really until Mike had mentioned it. I do remember it vaguely back in the day, but I didn't think anything of it because I don't remember till seeing Ash versus or Freddy versus Ash versus Jason or Freddy versus Jason versus Ash didn't come out until comics. Right. But I wonder if they were trying to set it up. I think they were. That's what I think. Yeah, it definitely had to be a pre Because not only did they do the Freddy versus Jason thing, but they had the Necronomicon in there as a nod too. Yeah, and unless it was just a K&B thing because K&B did the the effects for this film, and they also did for the uh, Evil Dead. Oh, films. Greg Nicotero. Yeah. yeah, so they that would be one of their props. So they had just as a 
just like Sam Raimi uses the same vehicle in all his movies, they may have just brought it in as a Easter egg for right. hardcore fans. Right. But I really do think it was a setup. Yeah, I think so too. Because yeah. it just seems too uncanny that that would be in there. Like, what point? Why? But some of the best death scenes we already talked about: the tent sex scene where the girl's ripped in half. Um, a part that was cut out entirely from the uh, uh, the theatrical release, and they ended up recording this movie intentionally, knowing that they were going to cut all this shit out, but keeping the footage so they put it out on the video release. There's a scene where the melting officer in the Voorhees house, it kind of reminds me of, like, Hellraiser. I was like, and we were seeing also, like, uh, the end of uh, Robocop. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's what Patrick said. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, it definitely did. The other part that I like was the one where the the fucking fat diner chick. Oh, where she gets elbowed oh, yeah. in the mouth. Yeah, she's right. like, you stay off of him! And then Jason just punches her and elbows her in the face. And her chin <laughs> gets squished into her mouth. And that was just so like, what the fuck? But this movie came out August 13th, 1993. It opened literally to $7.5 million on opening weekend. Basically $15 million domestically. Hmm. Which is pretty disappointing. Yeah. Like, it's really bad. They made enough money that they wanted to continue on the series, and everybody wanted to see Freddy vs. Jason because of the mask at the end. But there was, like, a lot of problems with that because they couldn't get... While they were trying to secure the rights to do the Freddy vs. Jason, they had a lot of problems. In the interim, they decided to make another Jason movie. But they didn't want to, like, step on any of the history, so they figured they'd take it way far into the future. Oh, yeah. To, like, not bother any of the storyline. So it's like, fast forward in the future, 400 years, Jason X comes up, he's frozen in some fucking module where David Cronenberg finally wants to be in the movie again. He brought all of his effects guys that did movie uh, work on Naked Lunch and, oh, yeah. like, all these other movies that he did. So they did some of the special effects for this movie, Jason X, believe it or not. And he said that he wanted to be in the movie only if he died. Huh. And that's where he gets speared in the back of the chest. Oh, yeah. He's, like, okay. run, running away or something. Right. I don't want to get hate on it or anything, but uh, I, I'm going to have to say it. This, this has to be probably not my favorite Jason movie, but it's up there. It's in definitely in my top three. Really? Yes. I mean, I enjoy it. It's it's not... I don't know. It's pretty cheesy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I like it, though. I don't know. Well, Jim Isaacs was the director. He ended up passing away in 2012, but this movie came out in 2002. Basically, um, there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened in this. I think some of the coolest scenes in the series, death scenes-wise. Yeah. Of like, course. what's your guys' favorites? Of course, the girl's face that gets frozen and then oh, smashed. Yeah. Right. That's that that's mine too. It's it's fucking It's so fucked up dude. Yeah, dude, for sure. You see her face like go <laughs> like freeze as she's like under the water or the the nitrogen or whatever. And that then, was so cool. Right. And then and he then, smashes it on the fucking counter. And just throws her away like a piece of trash. Yeah. Like, <laughs> get away from me. That that was else too, really like cool. uh, I don't know if you want to post a link, but it's kinda of interesting. But Mythbusters did an episode where they tried to prove if you could actually do that. Based... And it, they didn't, yeah. Yeah, they weren't able to. They were like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a myth. Yeah. Which is interesting. Still, it's a movie. Oh, I know for sure. But it's interesting that it was popular enough that they were like, this is a really cool death scene. <laughs> yeah. 
It really was. It's it's one of the ones that stand out for me in the entire series. Well, that was one of the death scenes where they took the most time into as well, right? right? Yeah, they said that the entire crew stood around to watch this scene. Like, everybody was there. Like, they wanted to see this happen. Much like uh, all the sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Which they had a lot in this one, too. And actually, uh, Hotter came back, obviously. Um, he scared some of the director's students, and uh, one of them got so scared that they, like, curled up in a ball and oh, were wow. crying on the ground. I heard that. Because he was in that, like, half-cyborg, half-Jason. Oh, when he comes back because of the uh, nanites or whatever? Yeah, because they blow his head up in the fucking movie. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the cryogenic face kill was pretty amazing. The corkscrew kill, where the guy falls on the on the corkscrew... And then his body slowly spins down. <laughs> it was really cool to me. I do like when Jason's head explodes. She shoots the android, shoots him in the head. Right. There's like a scene where her nipples fall off. That was really cool. Oh, yeah, with the fake boobs. Oh, don't forget about the, the one where he walks into the simulation. Yeah, the holodeck sort oh, of thing. Oh, dude. That's probably my favorite thing about the movie. That was really, really good. Because the girls are like, hey, want to party and get have sex and do Premarital drugs? sex at that. Premarital <laughs> sex, yeah. And then, like, they're in their book, or their sleeping bags, and he's, like, beating them against trees and each other, and they're, like, <laughs> laughing and giggling. <laughs> like, that's... That is really worth buying the movie. Uh, but this, like I said, this came out April 12th, 2002. $13 million at the box office. Total uh, $6 million the first week at the box office. So it did not do too well at all. No. It's probably the worst in the series. But part of the problem was is that the movie got shelved for two years almost. I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah didn't they say there were some leaks and stuff well, that... Michael DeLuca was the New Line cinema head, and he stepped down. And when he did, Jason X got shelved for about 18 months. Wow. At that time, somebody had a copy of it and put it up on fucking Pirate Bay. And so everybody had been downloaded. It was one of the most top downloaded movies at that time. So everybody had already seen it. So it didn't do too too well at at the box office. Not that it was a great movie or anything, but that's just interesting to know. Fast forward to the biggest of the franchise. Oh, the one everyone was waiting for. Everyone was waiting for. I had such a rock hard boner for it. <laughs> I think everybody wanted it to be amazing. Dude. It's such delicate territory to dance around. Yeah. But Freddy vs. Jason came out. It was directed by, there was like apparently 40 directors that wanted the job. Oh, yeah. Because everybody wanted it. And why not? Who wouldn't? Was it Ronnie Yu? Yeah, Ronnie Yu was a Chinese director who did uh, The Bride with the White Hair. Yeah. and a, Oh, he did uh, The Bride of Chucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did that movie. The all the, the big problem that was happening behind the scenes while the, the last two movies before it was the script. Everybody oh. was having problems with the script. Nobody could get it right. Some people wanted to have like a cult of Freddy. Like, called Fredheads. Uh, Which was kind of stupid. Yeah, name. they were going to have it one-third part Jason, one-third part Freddy, and one-third part named this guy named James Necro, who was the cult leader. And, like, all these screenplays came up, or scripts, and nobody liked them. But the final script was done by Damien Shannon and Mark J. Swift. And they were the ones that did... I Did they do Jason Goes to Hell? But they, oh, that's what it was. They were inspired by Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, okay. 
Because they were like, why is Freddy's hands grabbing Jason's mask? Why is that happening? So this is the time where, remember when I was mentioning to you guys about the fucking, the part eight, Jason takes Manhattan and the stunt double for Kane yeah, took yeah. the hit by the car? Yeah. Well, this came full circle to this point because Kane Hodder did not get the role of Jason in this movie. Yeah, a little let down. Horrible. Robert England's in the movie and it's Freddy versus Jason. You Jason don't have the is most like Kane Jason Hunter. in the film. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would hate to be the guy that was that took the place of Kane. Right. He you didn't do a horrible job. Him all night calling him up and shit. Right. <laughs> well, apparently Kane Hodder's friends with Ken. The guy that played uh Jason or Jason in this movie was Ken Kersinger. and he was the guy that took the car hit in in part 8. And that was the time where Kane was adamantly against him doing that scene with the car but they didn't want him to get hurt and not be able to shoot the rest of the movie because it was yeah. so expensive in New York but it came full circle and Ken Kersinger from uh, Vancouver, uh, Canada ended up filling in and there was some like a lot of fans that were pissed off at Ronnie Yu, the director but originally, uh, technically it was the producers that said they didn't want Kane it's up in the air as to why some say it was just the height that right, Kane Hunter was that. yeah because Ken was like seven foot four or some shit like that. But this is the movie that a lot of people got really pissed off also about because they were like, Jason's not scared of water. He's been in like the lake and shit. Like, oh, yeah. Dude, remember, what was it? When was it? The six where he gets tied up and he's down in the lake for like two years. Yeah, and then he comes out. Jeez. Well, I think they were just, they, they even said that, you know, they weren't really trying to make it so that he was scared of the water. But that maybe he might have a little bit of a hesitancy towards water, and Jason or and Freddie was like fire. Oh yeah, they were trying to do this whole I don't know. That doesn't make sense though either because Freddie is constantly in a boiler room around fire, and Jason is constantly around a lake. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> Hollywood. It still is not a bad movie though. We enjoyed it. Mike definitely did. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I loved it. You hadn't seen it in a while. You enjoyed it. No, I, I hadn't seen it since uh, uh, theaters. And when I saw it in theaters, I didn't like it. But watching it again now, I was like, you know what? This ain't bad. It's not bad. It's one of those cult movies, sort of, in a way. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's it's one of the things, like I've said before, like, don't go into it expecting Gone with the Wind or Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. You know, go in just expecting to see some gore. To give Should you guys I? kind of a background yeah. on this, Wes Craven didn't have any creative control over this movie whatsoever. Whereas Sean Cunningham, who came up with the Friday the 13th series, did. And so essentially they wrote to try to make all the fans happy. And they ended in this crescendo, like them both basically killing each other at the same time. Because they didn't know how to end it. And rightfully so. All the kills that I thought were cool in this movie were all Jason. Freddy only had like two kills and they were kind of weak. Yeah, but yeah. Freddy beats the shit out of Jason, so I guess it kind of balances out. I will have to say one of my favorite. Jason goes ham on killing people. Though. Oh yeah, but one of my favorite lines, and I'll make this quick, is uh, there's a scene where all these kids from the school are out in this cornfield partying, and Jason shows up, and starts fucking shit up. Right. And so everybody's scrambling, trying to get away. They jump in a van and they they drive away. And as they're driving away, the stoner guy in the back with the kids is just like, "Damn." 
that goalie was pissed about something, and it just <laughs> cracks me up. The pothead guy, yeah. <laughs> of course I would relate to that. He has a really cool death scene where uh, Jason cuts him in half. Right, oh yeah. Because, like, really Freddy possesses his body while he's asleep or something, oh, or yeah. high. And then they try to put him out, and then Freddy, or Jason, as he's falling asleep, cuts him in half. Right. And that was really cool. The fire scene where he's coming out of the cornfield that you're talking about. I don't, I like that. Super technical. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. can't even imagine what that was like. That must have been a nightmare Well, to they shoot. said it took forever to shoot. Yeah. Ronnie Yu was saying it was really difficult because they're in a dry cornfield, and everything would catch fire. Like, how do you keep that under wraps? Um, there's a cool scene where they... The in the beginning where the uh, dickhead boyfriend or whatever is like yelling at the chick from fucking Ginger Snaps, and he gets folded in half with a beer in his hand and stabbed. <laughs> that was pretty cool. There was a funny part where Kia, the the black chick in the movie, she's making fun of Freddie to try to help her friend. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, she's yeah. like, and I quote, "I'm just quoting here, guys." What kind of faggot wears a fucking Christmas sweater with a bunch of butter knives or some shit like that? <laughs> but she gets fucking hit by fucking Jason into a tree, like, literally, like, 40, 50, 70 yards, somewhere in there. Hits a tree and dies. That was kind of funny. But that came out August 15, 2003. It had a budget of $30 million. So they knew it was coming. And it, and at the box office, it made eighty two point six million dollars. Damn, which is a lot of fucking money. That's more than the first movie made. Wow. Now I'm, I know this has been a long cast, guys, and I just hope you understand that there is no way to go through these movies quicker than this. Ah. Like there is just so much to talk about. We'll take it to the very last one here, and this is the remake, the reboot. Um, that was directed by Marcus Nispel. Yeah. It came out in 2009 on February 13th. Uh, the movie had about, I, I don't know how much it was, but they had, they had put some, uh, some decent amount of money into this. Yeah, it, it definitely had a good uh, aesthetic. It was, it was definitely more, a little darker, more serious. I think so. They still had the stupid kids getting drunk and fucking high and, I don't know, tits and shit like that. Right. I still think the best part of that movie was the opening sequence. Was probably the I think they said it was the longest opening sequence. Prologue in any, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, prologue or whatever in any Jason movie. Well, yeah, because they kind of skipped over the whole first Friday the Thirteenth movie, right? By cramming her short story of his mother getting her head chopped off, right? But so that they could fast track it to to basically part two. But that to me had the best death scenes and just felt good to me. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I think. What do you mean they had the best death scenes? Well, let's see. Like, when they're in the cabin and Jason's underneath and he's stabbing the the floorboards. Oh, And he's slowly, like, cutting yeah. the fuck out of that guy. I mean, I thought it was cool. Like, watching it again now or, you know, and recollecting on some of the scenes. Like, there's some cool stuff in it. But, I don't know. There's some really cool stuff in it. Yeah. Like, there really is some cool death scenes and stuff like that. And the guy that played Jason in this one is Derek Mears. He actually has what is called alopecia. Oh, yeah. Which is where your body can't produce hair. It looks at it as, like, a foreign object. Which would be cool, because I wouldn't have to get electrolysis anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have to shave your balls every day. I know. That sucks, man. I feel your pain, dude. <laughs> 
Actually, I don't shave. <laughs> Just full bush. Just kidding. But the same writers that did Freddy vs. Jason came back, and they only wanted to take this one serious, like you had said. Yeah. There was two different types of scenes for how Jason found his mask. One of them was one of the dudes was wearing a, the mask on his head, and he got his head cut off. And the other one was where he just killed the guy and then looked behind a curtain and found the mask and then put it on and looked in the mirror. Yeah. I'll have to agree with whoever said that that was the better of the two scenes. You yes. think? Looking in the mirror, he's like, hey. It'd be cooler yeah, like, if he would have like, like, put yeah, his like, phone he's up take and a, like, took a picture yeah. for Facebook. He was like, does this mask make me look fat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it made him feel good, and that's what's important. Okay. Apparently, there was an onset accident to um, Danielle got pushed back and split her chin and then hit her head on the ground really hard. Oh, yeah. When they were backing down the stairs, apparently, the main dickhead guy pushed her back really hard. She split her chin, got a concussion, had to go to the hospital. So that was pretty crazy. She said she still got a scar on her chin, which is pretty cool. There was a the, the sex scene in it with the hot chick and the guy... She, like, is banging him, riding him, and shit like that. They yeah. did that scene literally for 12 hours. Like, Poor guy. So sign me up, dude. Well, yeah, that's yeah. what he was saying. I, I can last 12 hours. Yeah, I don't know. Those are, he those was are... like, I'm wearing a cock sock. <laughs> that's that happy green. <laughs> Whatever. Who needs a cock sock? I'll raw dog it. Just sticking a limp noodle inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, they weren't really having sex, so I guess that doesn't make <laughs> Apparently, the director and the producers had a lot of issues on the set, and usually this is something that they figure out and finish by the end of the movie, but they didn't. It just continued on the entire set. And so a lot of the actors felt like mom and dad were fighting really heavily. Oh, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> the original ending had a mask pop off of uh, Jason while his chain was getting caught in the wood chipper. Oh, dude. And he looked at the girl and was like, Mommy, why are you doing this to me? And then she stabs him in the chest. But they cut that and just kept the mask on, and they lost the look in his eyes to her, which a lot of people feel like that scene was like way more impactful than how it ended. Uh, I mean, there's not much to say about the remake other than it's not horrible. Like, I know it gets a bad rap because everybody hates remakes, but I don't think it's horrible. I, I just wanted to be back in the world. consider it a remake, though. It's a reboot. There you go. Jason digging tunnels. I mean, that's... <laughs> and uh, one's a minor, apparently. <laughs> well, did you guys have any favorite death scenes in this? Uh, it, it, I don't know if this was just Jason X, but did he swing uh, the bodies up against the the thing? In the, in no, train? but he tied the girl in the uh, sleeping bag oh, over the, the fire. fire. Oh, yeah. And roasted her, yeah. Ro that was and badass. She died alive, which is pretty intense. Yeah. That was a pretty intense scene, I would say. I thought another cool one was where the chick is, like, hit by the boat, and then she swims to safety, and then he sticks the fucking machete in the top of the pier. Oh, and lifts oh, her, yeah, lifts her, her up. Yeah, and then see you see her glorious boobs, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Which was the intent of the I'll entire scene. I agree with that one. Scene. Yeah. That part of my VHS tape is worn out. <laughs> <laughs> they made that on VHS? No, they didn't. It's got tears and blood all over it. Uh, <laughs> Well, that movie came out February 13, 2009. It made $43 million uh, in the weekend box office, $65 million domestically, and $91.4 million total, which it technically beat Rob Zombie's Halloween, which made like 88. So it did better than Rob Zombie's, which is pretty impressive considering it seems like everybody hates it more than Rob Zombie's. Damn, dude, yeah. 
You know what? Comparing those two movies together, I would say that I liked Halloween better. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but guys, I know this has been probably the longest thing you've ever listened to in your entire life, and it's probably the longest thing we've ever talked about consistently in our entire lives. Yeah, it's not the longest thing I've had to deal with. Yeah, he's had a deep throat before <laughs> uh, several uh-huh. times. Yeah, that's our Friday the 13th episode. I know that we've kind of do it. Do you guys have anything kind of to wrap up? I mean, what's your favorite movie out of the franchise? If you had to pick two, which would be two your top favorite? would have to be uh, Friday the 13th, episode 6, and Jason X. Okay, what about you? I'm going to go with the first one because I think it was such an original story idea. Okay. I really, really dug it. I thought it was really cool, really unique. Um yeah, even Laura kind of dug on it when she doesn't really like like horror movies. Beyond that, I would say, and I hate saying this because I haven't seen it since theaters, outside of us just watching a few minutes ago, but I really had a good time with Freddy vs. Jason. Okay. It was total popcorn fun. Uh, it didn't, It like I said, it wasn't Lords of Arabia. It wasn't uh, Gone with the Wind. That's such a stark difference. Like, it, it is. Contrast. It is. Well, it, it's, like, it's like one film that's like very serious, very unique, very different, and another one that's almost parroting itself. Had I been like 15 to 18 yeah, and seen it when it first came out or had some experience behind me knowing what the films that had come out before it, previous yeah. to it, I think I probably would have appreciated it a lot more. I never put it down in any way, but it is not my favorite film. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it just because it's a part of history. Yeah, I, just, I, like, uh, I have a lot of respect for kind of low-budget horror films right. that are done off, kind of off the grid, not done in the sure. Hollywood system. And also Tom Savini's effects. His early stuff like sure. that, The Burning, uh, Dawn of the Dead, right. all that kind of stuff is really fucking cool, and I really oh, think yeah. it's awesome. He was just amazing. He just got better and better as it went on, too. So what was your favorite movies, Alex? I, I honestly think Six is probably one of my favorite movies, if I think back to it. I did like Freddy vs. Jason. I'm not trying to put it away. I don't know. The second one, that my second favorite out of the fucking few... God, that's so hard. I don't know, man. Four? I don't know. Four? I like seven, but I think it's a little too cheesy. Uh, but I'm like really into the 80s thing, and that's like my thing. Because I grew up a lot more during that time. Right. And I understand. So I got to see those movies more than I did the original ones, which felt like 70s movies to me as a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Like, it's a toss up there. But yeah, six is probably my favorite one out of the bunch. I like the supernatural element of Jason. I felt like that character, the person that played um, Jason in that one, did an amazing job. C.J. Graham? That's his name? I think so, yeah. I think he did an amazing job for the first one ever. Kane Hodder is the king, obviously. Well, who's going to dispute it with him? Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't. I'm scared of that guy. (laughs) You go to hang out with the guy. shit. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you go to tell him that and you have to keep diverting your eyes. That's a bad job. Well, the way he talks about how he gets into character is probably one of the like scariest kind of serial killer feelings that you will ever get. I think he's badass, man. Oh, no, and it's totally what you need to do. But oh, for sure, dude. Just like when you're looking at it in a film sense, it's like, oh, that's great. But when you're sitting next to him and you hear that story, it's kind of like, oh... I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so which way is the exit? Yeah, <laughs> which way do I gotta go? But yeah, he's a very physical person. Go, oh, man. go figure. And by the way, Kane, if you're listening, totally should have been in Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, I hands down. Yeah, I, I, I. There was other so a couple of things I wanted to say, but I don't think it's necessary right now, being that we're already yeah three hours in three hours yeah. <laughs> so enjoy that. Uh, just know that we put a lot of work into this, guys. We wanted to make it shorter. I hope you appreciate that we spent the extra time. Everybody's here later than we wanted to be. Do us a favor. Please add us on YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, everywhere that you can possibly find us. If you're so kind and you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please be sure to give us a review on any of the podcast hosting sites because it helps push us up there. And other than that, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one, man. Later. Take care, guys. Beyond the Veil Horror Podcast. Tune in every Monday for a new episode.